Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Hi, guys. I'm Justin. What's up, Justin? <laughs> Nothing. You all right? Yeah, good. How's the dog doing over there? Sleeping. All right, good, man. Because <laughs> I hope she doesn't make any noise. We have a special guest in the studio this evening. Uh, our guest is Christian McKnight, New York City concert uh, promoter for... Long time, right, Christian? Uh, yeah. It's so weird sitting next to this dog because I feel like even though we're just like, this is an audio thing, the dog is taking the spotlight. You know how like no matter yeah, what, whenever yeah. a dog's around, nobody wants to fuck with you, they just want to mess with the dog. Can I curse? I can curse, right? You can curse. Can curse, curse yeah, okay, curse cool. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like it's like when you have a baby, people just want to talk to the baby and not you. Yeah. That's why I don't have yeah. a baby. I, I want to be petting the dog over there and not talking to any of you guys. I know. Let the me feeling. take my shirt off. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, shout out to all the single guys who go out on the street without any dogs or assistance of babies yo, it's t- yo I'm, I'm that guy yeah, I'm that guy I have I have a tortoise and uh, tortoises Justin might have been with me when I got one of them uh, yeah one of them yeah and, I uh, thought it was cute. I would have talked to you. It was cute. But, but the thing is, you can't take this shit on a leash. It's yeah. not like you're going to walk down the street and people are going to be like, oh my God. Like, not going to lie, though, the tortoises are on all my dating profiles. Bingo. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go. Well, you, yeah. Could, you can nurture something and continue its life. A That's conversation a good piece. Yeah. yeah. And, and conversation starter. Also, too, what's important is that yeah. the tortoises are going to outlet, they're going to outlast me. Yeah. So yeah. whoever, Legacy. yes, <laughs> no, it's, that's why I want like my, my <laughs> life to go on. My life work are yeah. gonna live on through my tortoises. Hey, you know, my dog might outlive me, man. I got high cholesterol. <laughs> you never know. Hey, girl, <laughs> help me come out of my shell. Yeah. And then you can, uh, oh boy. See my tortoise. Justin yeah, just got your Tinder yeah, cup. He, he did. Tinder <laughs> caption. Oh my, help me come out of my shell. People oh, love puns in my shell. Yeah, man. Shelly, yeah. Where's Shelly Duvall? Listen, <laughs> while we're talking about single guys out on the town walking tortoises, uh, let, let's slow it down a second. How was your weekend, Tom? Oh, uh, th- I totally forgot about that part. Oh, uh, good. Well, I, we I are, didn't. That's what I'm here for. For transparency, we are recording this the day after the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. So congratulations <laughs> to, um, what was it, Kansas? Kansas City, right? Oh, okay. I, I don't watch I, football. Yeah, I know. The, the guy... The guy made a thing. The guy did a thing. Did a thing. Oh, yeah. Kansas, oh, Kansas yeah. City, Kansas. You, you yeah. mean carry on my football, boy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kansas so my, is a great band, but we've already covered that on the podcast. My father does the old uh, Super Bowl party. True. My uh, true salute to your Sean father. Always comes over, and that's what yeah. people are there to watch because the man is just yelling. Uncle Sean, any fights? Anybody like brought the, at the no, at he, the salt? He's not a fighter, but he'll, <laughs> he tries to pick fights. No one gets right. you know. It's yeah. like uh-huh. we've oh seen boy. this before. Yeah, yeah exactly. oh but, all right. So weekend of that, and then uh, that's really it for me. Sounds like a buckshot rehearsal. A guy trying to pick fights, and everybody's just <laughs> south, chill out. You, know? you were gonna say yeah. the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, no, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. too. But nobody, no, but nobody wins at a buckshot <laughs> rehearsal. That's the. Uh, I had a very busy weekend, man. I um, play it on. I worked all day Friday. Then I went out, caught a little pyrexia rehearsal. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I may or may not be filling in on one or more dates of, a, of an upcoming Pyrexia run. Uh, you know, very, very uh, honored and grateful to be chilling with those guys, man. Shout out to them. Worked all day Saturday uh, and then got up on Sunday, 6 a.m., drove down to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We do. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, northern Philadelphia. Well, uh, since I got there so early and beat traffic, I was eating uh, breakfast at the City Diner. <laughs> On Center Street. Shout out to them over there. Hold me down. Uh, excellent service. Uh, lightning quick. It came out. It was great. It was like they knew I was coming, man. What'd you get? Uh, traditional, you know, hash browns, yeah. eggs, uh, toast, the whole day, little orange juice, coffee, mm-hmm. man. It was beautiful, man. Uh, and then we rehearsed with Artificial Brain. 
Um, yeah, at, at a you know, I, this is, I'm giving away secrets now, but we yeah, were in Philadelphia. Secrets, yeah, no, we were in Philadelphia at an undisclosed location adjacent to the City Diner. We actually rehearsed at the City Diner. They're being very gracious to us. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Uh, and then I, I actually drove back. Uh, I didn't plan it, but I timed it out. Everybody was where they were watching the Super Bowl, and I was driving back. So I caught excellent time, like two and a half hours back on a Sunday night Dope. from Philly. To uh, to Huntington, so I, I you know I had a beautiful time. I don't follow football. I don't really follow a lot of sport. I follow death metal and and horror movies and things. I you know if you watch the Super Bowl, I hope your team won. But I think a lot of people were probably gunning with San Francisco, right? Because because uh, San Francisco is probably the favorite one, right? I, I don't know, right? I'm a bit removed from uh, what was happening with the game, but yeah, I, I do know I do know this that the Super Bowl is the most common event that Americans share. Oh, wow, yeah, so more I'm, than I'm, I'm out of touch with America. Yeah. yeah, more than Thanksgiving. I thought the most common event that Americans share was the MDF, but that's like my from my <laughs> perspective. I don't, I guess, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's, it's not that, that crowded. What's that, your, that shows you my perspective away. on life when I step out of the, the, the cryptic bedroom that is my death metal lair. I don't know, nice. bro. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, man. I had a very busy death metal weekend. I just want to let everybody know that I'm preparing out there. I'm just trying to give death metal uh, my all. You know, and 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 just uh, you know, uh, live up. You know, so that's all, man. Salute you, uh, Captain uh, J Wall. What's going on with you there, bro? How's the bathroom running? Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a good weekend. And all in all, can't complain. All uh, right. I started it off Friday. Uh, good brother um, had a tattoo shop, uh, warming like a housewarming, but it was for a shop. Uh, <clears throat> Fortune of War out in Oyster Bay, doing really high quality work. It's all okay. modeled after some Teddy Roosevelt room. Uh, hmm. There's rocks that he found in the woods in there, and uh, historical Long Island. Yeah, and some deer heads and the Constitution, which is great because I had brushed up on my democracy like all week preparing for it. Interesting. Flipping through the Federalist Federalist Papers and whatnot. Did you get a tattoo? No, it's uh, okay. it got whiskey over there. It was like a little party. Oh uh, boy! So Saturday was a bit of recovering from that, and uh, Sunday I woke up and I was like, I need to, I need to do Big Will a favor over here. I need to put a door on this bathroom. So. Got myself some brand new brass hinges. A man of my size, a door can be a favor or a hindrance, or depending <laughs> yeah, on the size true. of the size of the back. door and how it opens. All right. Self, I did myself a favor, so I don't have to watch you. And <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just put the finishing touches on this. Well, everybody, uh, a favor. My illustrious bathroom uh, job. I'll. I'll I'm not going to post pictures of my bathroom, you guys. You don't care. Uh, I might post pictures of your bathroom. Watch out. Oh, God. You gotta check your phones at the door at Justin's house. Will, you can't come over anymore. <laughs> Sign a non-disclosure agreement like, like, like Diddy. So it was good. <laughs> then I just, you know, then I waited and I watched my bathroom uh, paint dry until uh, Shakira and Jennifer Lopez came on. The oh, screen. yeah, they were on, right? And that was fantastic. <laughs> got to tell you, the, the day uh. before... Um, in, in my, in my, my hangover, uh, you know, kind of days, uh, I watched Hustlers. And if you don't know what Hustlers is, Hustlers is this, this brand new, uh, movie that came out starring Jennifer Lopez. I think with little cameos from Cardi B and, and such. Oh. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's a stripper oh. heist movie, uh, oh. in the city. And I want to say 50 plus something year old Jennifer Lopez, the opening scene of that movie, you watch it. It's a great movie. Watch that scene. This is a Jennifer Lopez. She's a mom. She's gorgeous. Hitting the pole for about 15 minutes. Going. And I mean a stripper pole. She's not well, she doing did dick that or anything in, like that. In the halftime show as well. well which was she great. Was showing up the, she was showing off the practice. Who doesn't want to watch the second half of a game horny? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got all my horn on for the second half, which was pretty nice. Um, I was a little disappointed with the halftime show. You know, it was supposed to be this... Um, 
you know, this tribute to uh, to, to Latin culture and, and female Latin stars. Um, no, uh, no Selena at mm. all. Well, she's dead. That doesn't matter. Her music lives. I mean, nowadays they could do the Ronnie James Dio thing, get a hologram. No Church. Selena. Surprised they're not doing that I, with a lot well, of there's people. There's a little bit of a jaw rule grunt in the background when she when uh, there was you know <laughs> that, that song happened when that when that song went on that that was good. Uh, some other guy came out like a spaceman. Oh, oh, you mean uh, Captain Tinfoil? What Tinfoil, about? Yeah. yeah, I mean we want to talk about we want to talk about like Latina uh, uh, superstars. Where's Sheila E at? Yeah, right. Uh, you know what I'm saying? There's Chara, Chara was in there. Oh boy, yeah. Okay, now we're digging deep here. The deep yeah. cut on the heavy hole. Juan Luis Guerra, uh, one of my favorites. Listen, we talked about strippers. Um, we we talked. I feel like you know we're 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 New York City adjacent right now, Christian. How was your weekend? Uh, it was cool, man. Uh, what did I do? I don't know. I feel bad trying to like up you because your weekend sounds so entertaining. I do. This was the this <laughs> was the listeners know like my the last like several episodes. I've been like, yeah, yeah, I worked and hung out with my dog. Yeah, you know, like this was the first weekend I was pumped to talk. No, about you my guys weekend. got into the nitty gritty. I mean, yeah. like you guys didn't do a lot, but you made it sound like a lot. Good embellishments, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah. I'm really impressed. Yeah. It's a skill yeah. that we've been honing in by doing the heavy hole. Podcast. No, it's fantastic. I mean, I think that's what happens whenever you do a podcast because mm. you figure out like. You know, like some podcasts are so long, and you're like, "What are these motherfuckers talking oh, about boy. for like hours?" And it's like yeah. you guys are talking about putting your doors on and your road trip. <laughs> like that's what it's like. It's like people think that it all adds up. And just know? get into minutia, like mm-hmm. so. Uh, my minutia level was uh, high this week. I did a lot of <laughs> tedious things that I don't need to share with anybody. So, uh, what did I do? I had some people over. Uh, I was impressed with the food I made, actually. What you really make? Good. Oh, boy. Uh, I made, um, I put some, um, I sliced bread, and I put it in the toaster oven. Sick. And I made a, what do you call Oh, toast. Yeah. I made some toast. Yeah, Beautiful. that was cool. Beautiful. Yeah, no, I did that. And then um, I also, in addition to that, I went to the store. And I bought different flavors of Doritos, and I True. put them in the bowl, and I got salsa in honor of the halftime show, and I put it out and chips and salsa. It was I've never made something so <laughs> great. So people were just giving me compliments. Good hosts. No, yeah. the Good hostess host. with the mostest. Yeah. I like to make toast a la butter. Yeah. Shit, I didn't even get to that level put yet. Put a little butter I on there. I have to get that. Sp- spread it around. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> no, I gotta go there. So like, as the French, <laughs> as the as the French do. You I know, like my yeah. toast extra rare. Yeah. Yeah. So you're almost getting salmonella. It's so rare. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dough. Rare <laughs> toast is just dough. <laughs> so, it, uh, anyone at your Super Bowl events or anyone over this weekend make a coronavirus joke? Dude, uh, it was like it was like. If you could run down the list of the jokes, it was like, I don't know if you guys saw, Shakira did this like little, little, little thing. Did you guys know I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I called it Aer Lingus. <laughs> ah, <laughs> nice. Like, Sexual. Like, like the Italian the Irish airline. The meeting of the Irish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the Latinas. <laughs> a new, new, uh, new definition of Aer Lingus. It was the Aer Lingus joke. <laughs> It was coronavirus, Trump, 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 Trump. Like you can't ever get away with it. Like you yes, know, Trump is yeah, everywhere. It's omnipresent. But also, as you know, one of one of my best friends, Neil, um, he was a he's a comedian, Neil Rubenstein. Uh, subscribe to his YouTube. Um, he, it's fucking hard hanging out with a comedian because everything is a goddamn joke, and he never wants you to get over on 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 your jokes. So like, oh it's, yeah. Yeah, he's got a he's got a one up. Yet. He's the main he's, event. Oh my god, dude! You are always second fiddle to hanging out with the comedian. Now Neil's mm. funny. I'm not as funny as Neil, mm. 
But thank God, because if I was funny as Neil, I'd be so mad. I'd be like, yo, just let me stand next to you. Like, let me get some in here. And it just doesn't work. Especially, like, as a single guy, like I mentioned, when there's, like, other single women there, it's like, I can't even get a joke in because this guy's too funny. I'm like, I'm, mm. I'm fucking fat mm. and ugly. How am I supposed to fucking get anything? Whoa. I'm supposed to, like... Whoa. This guy's talking about fat over here. What size is your shirt? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Hell's Headbangers. I got, four, I got a four X. Shout out to Hell's Headbangers. <laughs> Hell's Headbangers hold me down with yeah. the four X cyanide yeah. shirt. Okay, thank you. All right, you. let's, oh, let's so talk good. about some music. Yeah, let's get into well, the old show. Uh, wait, 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 I just want to shout out that pro wrestling takeover is still going on. Ric Flair is selling hummus, and The Rock introducing the Super Bowl. It's great. So, yeah, there we go. Okay. It's still real. All right. Man. All right. Shout out to Ric Flair. Is the, is the Rock now. really a pro? I mean, at this point, like he's like. Oh yeah. If they call him pro the wrestling, rock. is like a like a footnote. Like the know, Rock is his working name. I mean, there's definitely kids that know him as like the you know the, the movie Jumanji. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Jumanji right. was better than his whole career. Well, listen. There might even be a few guys left out in maybe like the Mastic Shirley area that still know you as Christian McKnight of Cleanser. Um. I mean, if. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to That's what joke. we call the whiplash segue. I yeah, saw it. It took a little that. too fast. Yeah, no. Lindenhurst, Mastic, and my hometown of West Hempstead, there's probably three people in those places <laughs> that I don't know if they actually could afford the internet, so maybe they're not listening to the show. <laughs> but, um, uh, sorry, guys. Sorry. I'm sure you guys all have the internet. Everyone can get it now. Um, <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's funny because, like, you know, I made that transition from being. A really bad singer to being a huh. mediocre promoter probably 22 years ago mm -hmm. and it is really weird how being in a hardcore band 22 years ago I would say no joke once every month or two somebody stops me and says yo you were in cleanser 22 years ago and I'm like <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm like, I hope you're a fucking... Your brain's amazing. How do you remember that? Because I don't look the same. <laughs> well, Long Island Hardcore in the 90s was its own thing. And people who were in their 30s and 40s now still remember a lot of that. That was, you know, our youth. And oh, people yeah. from a few years older than me, you know, that was their youth. You know, I mean, they're... Yeah. You know, bands like Cleanser, uh, we've discussed like Motive, VOD, yeah. and Decision, all that that whole 90s wave of bands, Millhouse, I've, I've brought up a lot of bands from the 90s on Long Island that if, if you were there, or you know, I was very young, but I caught a few of those VFW type of shows and things yeah. like that, man, and it made a super impression on me, even when I got more into metal and things like that, man. So, uh, you know, before we get into like your experience booking shows and everything, um, you know, you mentioned Lindeners, where, where are you from on Long Island? I'm from West Hampstead. From West Hempstead, yeah. okay. All right, so you're from Nassau County. I right? am, yeah. Don't hold it against me. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. It's all good. We need all the Long Islanders we can get, man. Yeah, we no, can't, we, we got to like stick together like Lou. And, and go yeah. against each other. Yeah, I just got to say something. I haven't had a drink since I was 13. True story. I've been shredded ever since. But a microphone in front of my face might as well be six beers. Because <laughs> I just let it all out. Like, there's no secrets. Are we officially on Edge Watch right here? Uh, yeah. We're not on Edge Watch. We're on, like, holy shit, what's Christian going to say? Watch. So, like, well, I live for this right now. I'm so happy. <laughs> so, all right. So, getting into uh, uh, your your history there with, with, with Cleanser. If you're from West Hempstead, how do you hook up with a band that was made up of guys mainly from like Eastern Suffolk, Long Island? 
Okay, uh, I'll try to like, we'll get to the destination without taking the long route, so okay. I'll tell you as much as I can. All right. So, I mean, I think what's important too is a metal podcast, right? Like, I think what I have to talk about is how like, the profound effect that metal had on me at a young age. Yeah, so when I was, it. you know, eight years old, I bought this Motley Crue mirror from the Shoppers Village flea market and it gave me nightmares because my mom convinced me that Motley Crue was satanic and I brought the <laughs> mirror back because I thought I was going to go to hell. <laughs> so eventually when I got old enough, my mom was cool with Striper and I still fuck with Striper heavy. Like, I'm not going to lie, dude. Calling on you is like, there. that's, I don't give a shit what you subscribe to. Like, that shit is good. Like, Striper's still good. So anyway. We covered Striper extensively in our Christian death metal episode, just for the oh, listeners. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. it's this, fucking good. This is a good. different Christian death metal episode. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, oh. hey. Hey, oh, plenty. I'm done with that. Yeah, no, good. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I got really into that stuff when I was at a, <clears throat> at a young age. And then, um, true story, I was 12 years old. I loved anthrax. I thought I was crazy because I liked anthrax. And I was up at um, the jungle gym near my house and I wrote NYHC because I don't know if you guys know this, but at a point in time, like anthrax like used that logo and they yeah. like always had it up there even though like they were kind of adjacent to that scene they still you know i mean they were whatever down they put that up so a guy by the name of brian o'connell who is my like to this day one of our best family friends was this like 15 16 year old guy that spent a lot of time in brooklyn and knew what's up and he said to me he didn't he wasn't a dick to me he was just like you know what that means i'm like yeah new york i don't know what it means and he's like it means new york hardcore and he was like, do you know what New York hardcore is? I'm like, yeah, Anthrax. He's like, nah, dude, Murphy's Law, Agnostic Front, Crucial Youth, Bold, and just dropped all the <laughs> shit on me. And I was like 12, I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh -oh. You know, so like that was my first indoctrination into, and I think what's important, I think every single person that's really into music has their Mr. Miyagi. You know, like has that person oh, that mm -hmm. like really mm -hmm. held their hand when they were young mm -hmm. and said, hey, these are the mixtapes you should, these are the tapes you should listen to. For me, it was Brian O'Connell and also this dude that I went to high school with named Paul. I was in, I was in eighth, ninth grade, Paul, no wait, I was in 10th grade, Paul was in ninth grade and I was into like Motley Crue and just like metal and you know, I knew some of the stuff from Brian that he told me about but he was like, like Paul was like, yeah, I'm gonna make you a mixtape and he made me a mixtape and it was like Sacred Reich, Cannibal Corpse, Death, uh, Bathory mm. and this kid was in wow. ninth grade. He was nice. like some Ella. He was like a savant. Yeah, he was yeah, some yeah. Shit. He was holding his hand. Yeah, wow. Yeah, how did oh, he know? Man. Like, who was his Miyagi? There are those know? people. Like, well, you talk about me. Like everyone, everyone who listens to the podcast by now knows I'm going to talk about Adam Rotella getting me into everything because he was my Mister Miyagi. You got everyone has. But there are those guys that just somehow deep dive on their own. Even in the '90s, before the internet was big, you know. Yeah. You know, like they just know it's crazy. And and I've always respected those guys. Like, Tom and I were our own Miyagi's. Oh, we were you guys waxing off. And you guys waxed each other. Waxed each other. <laughs> yeah, tag each other. team over here. <laughs> oh boy, we didn't know shit, but we figured it out. But you figured it out. But that's <laughs> yeah. that's the point. It's like you know. And when I was you know, I was really lucky. And the other thing too, I grew up. You know, West Hempstead's a pretty racially mixed neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I grew up listening to metal, but I also listened to a lot of hip hop mm -hmm. and also reggae. So I think if it wasn't for the fact of where I grew up, I could never do what I do today as a concert promoter in the city because I have to know a little bit about everything. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't from that strong background of having friends that listen to absolutely everything, and I hate when people say I listen to everything because no one really does. Because No, I mean, <laughs> name every song ever. Like, every, yeah. like all of us, yeah. 
in this room listen to a shit ton of music. But I don't think any one of us would utter that. No. Because we know music. And I'm sure like every person in this room it. hates country just, music. I would just say I listen to a lot of music. Uh, uh, no, we're, we're, we're actually... Uh, we're pop actually, country. Pop country? Pop country? You like pop, pop country? country's down. Uh, Shameless uh, plug for the listeners. <laughs> we're planning on doing a bonus Sorry. country episode for the Patreon. But uh, back to what we were saying. But, but, but yeah, yeah. Well, pop country is... I mean, that's also a lot of people say they hate rap, but that, but what they really mean is they hate commercial rap. Yeah, 100%. Because there's a whole spectrum of hip-hop music that oh. doesn't get played on commercial radio, you know? And I feel like country music gets that rap the same way, you know? There's a lot of country and, and American folk-driven music that just doesn't make it to radio, oh, you yeah. know? But, I mean, yeah, I get but it. that's a whole different story. Sure. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 I actually I actually fuck with some country. And, uh, but yeah, nobody and really truly listens to everything that's out there, man. But but there are people like us who maybe listen to a wide variety. A wide and you're not going to say, well, I listen to mainly death metal, but I also like a lot of jazz, jazz and, and a little bit of hip-hop and maybe more than, you know, you're not going to sit there and, you know, list out everything you like. No. So you just say, I listen to a little bit of everything. But, but we're like metal, hardcore, we're a gateway drug. You know, like, I think about that and I think about certain bands. Like, like back in the day, you know, in like the mid-90s, so many people dissed Green Day because Green Day was this <clears throat> larger-than-life monolith band that everybody knew about. Mm-hmm. However, I can guarantee you there's a massive amount of people that have a good appreciation of punk and underground music because of Green Day or because mm-hmm. of Blink or because or, or metalheads that like got into Metallica or got into, you know, like, or even got into Slipknot or or, or, or in less cooler things mm-hmm. like Disturbed and whatnot. You oh, know, yeah. like, you need to find that gateway drug when you're young to like be like, oh, I would like more stuff like this. And then you do your deep dive, but like there's that first initial like introduction of what you're going to listen to, then you're going to find more stuff. Right. You're absolutely well right. Yeah. I would I would actually say if this is kind of a, this is a little obscure, but people might remember in the early 90s Nintendo had a com- had a little ad campaign, a commercial and I think maybe like a tie-in with a magazine ad with the Butthole Surfers who had wow. just released Independent cool. Worm Saloon. And somehow, uh, between Beavis and Butthead and all that, I got super into the Butthole Surfers before I even knew what underground music was. And that was kind of like my gateway drug, even though I ended up getting into much more extreme music, you know. But just the idea... Of, and then Independent Worm Saloon had some pretty metal and, and hardcore sure. influenced, uh, you know, guitar work and things like that. But Yo, yeah, Beavis just, and Butthead, you know, yeah. don't sleep on Beavis and Butthead. Because I say this yeah. all the time when I talk yeah. to people. Not only did Beavis and Butthead, because of the videos that they made fun of, actually like people's love, but the songs they did, like, you know, like, you know, you know they would do like the air guitar with like mm-hmm. bah. one of the songs mm-hmm. they did was There Goes the Neighborhood by uh, mm-hmm. by the da 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 yeah. like so a lot of the stuff that like like when you watch that show that was a huge gateway for people that people don't you know like well the, yeah. there was this thing with Mike Judge and like making fun of the music videos and stuff a lot of that music he liked yeah of course yeah. you know it yeah. wasn't all just like oh fuck this fuck this <clears throat> yeah. I'm gonna make fun of it. it's like you gotta just be able to make fun of everything like he was a um, yeah. The reason Grim Reaper showed up three times on that show was because he liked Grim Reaper. Yeah, yeah. how do you not rock you to hell? Yeah, yeah, God yeah, God damn it. Yeah, so good. yeah Headbangers uh, Ball, man. That, that, I mean, Headbangers <clears throat> Ball, as a kid, that shit's also important, but mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Beavis and Butt played, you know, Morbid Angel was on there, Crowbar was on there. Life of Agony, that time he's like, aw, daddy left you. Like, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't but think the, they made fun of any Pantera song that was on there. No, you remember, no, when, like they the when they watched the video for five minutes, they turned it up so loud, yeah. they were screaming... <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god! Also the but also too, like, yeah. well, they yeah. were they were from Texas in the show, I think, right? 
Well, I think Mike Judge is Mike Judge. Yeah, 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 or Texas, at least Mike yeah. Judge. We'll make well, King of the Hill, so that makes sense yeah, in Avengers yeah. 1 too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also, you know, like but like uh like like Cannibal Corpse being in a what what Jim Carrey movie? Yeah, like this is like a real but think about that. Like if you're a kid and you want to be evil and bad and you know that shit exists and then you turn on that movie and you see that and you're just like, wow, but like this is it's those weird little things that like that I'm sure a lot of people can claim that's their metal roots. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Someplace mm-hmm. random. Yeah, de- uh, definitely, man. So, um, wait, I totally went nowhere near like uh, how to from a worst times the guy, but well, I'll get there. No, but but that's good because you gave a little preface to how you got into metal, and like we usually ask how you get into metal and underground yeah. music, and you gave it to us right there without asking. So, you, you now you're schooled in hardcore. Yeah. Um, uh, is Cleanser the first band you're in? No, so actually when I was like 13 or 14, I used to rap. Um, okay. Again, getting back to the neighborhood that I was from, I was so eclectic that like, it was something I was always like really into and I still actually freestyle all the time. I'm not going to do it. Don't ask me to do it. But and we're I talking can, 90s. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like early 90s. What's, what's yeah. wild is that this is, this is totally true. This dude who is like one of my like, gosh, he's best dudes I know he uh, he's a producer now go, goes by the name of Idiot Keys we used to rap together all the time in high school and he produced like Kanye's record Travis Scott's record like yeah, Kid he's, Cudi he's, I've heard the name he's huge yeah yeah, yeah. so like so so like but again be, growing up in that like that eclectic neighborhood I got to know this dude and this dude is the shit like I still see him all the time and he's like one of the biggest producers in the game you know so like young me who liked hip hop and metal was exposed and had this guy and it's funny that the story that me and him all the time was that we had a massive we had a, the first time me and him ever met we were in 10th grade and we had a long talk about tri- like Tribe Called Quest by the time we were in, seniors in high school he worked on Midnight Marauders the last Tribe Called Quest wow. and That's he became right. like one of the biggest in the game Tribe yeah. Called Quest and De La Soul were from the Hempstead area right? Tribe Called Quest some of those no De La Soul's from Amityville like the oh, okay. Copac Amityville okay. area, and and their uh, yeah. tribe is from um they're from Queens, but it's all okay. like there, like okay. especially like in West Hampton where I grew up, there's an amazing rap group as you guys, I know KMD, yeah. KMD because yeah. your boy Doom, like right, yeah. KMD shot a video. I told you the story. KMD shot a video down the block of my house when I was in ninth grade. Which one was that? Peach Fuzz. Who me? Oh, who okay. me? Yeah, yeah, Same so record. Yeah, wow. But like, but yeah, but like that. Again, Long Island. People sleep on Long Island how much we have. The fact that we have this like yeah. amazing yeah. metal scene, hip-hop scene, whatever you want to call like the emo scene what I, that I was part of for a long time. Like, yeah. There's so many bands from here that like you just can go on and on and on, yeah, on forever. Like, yeah. And, and we, it influences we, everybody. We could probably base this whole podcast on Long Island heavy music and not run out of guests and material. Oh, you know what I mean? There's, yeah, we, we, try to, uh, we, we try to cover Long Island a lot and the New York area a lot and, and branch out as often as we can. But yeah, you're right, man. There's a rich history on Long Island because we're right outside of New York City yeah. and in a way we've, you know, we've said we're spoiled because uh, most major tours come through New York City if not Long Island a lot of them are coming back to Long Island now but you know we're, we're 45 minutes away from you know like one of the most like uh Populous, uh, you know, concert yeah. destinations in the world. You know, but I mean? also too because of where we live. Like, there's a there's been books people written about suburbs and why so many bands are from suburbs. Because think about it, you have this, ju- you have the center of the universe is like you said, 45 minutes away from us. But we are growing up in the shadow of spot in this and the shadow of skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're not part of that. We have our own thing. So what do people do when they're bored? get in the woods and go in the woods and get drunk or <laughs> learn how to play instruments you know uh, and like when you yeah. live in the suburbs you could you know like buy a guitar and play in your parents basement that's why like you know like we're seeing like everyone talks about like like how big our scene was Long Island was like that 
New Jersey had a big scene. Yep. Connecticut had a massive scene. South Florida had a massive scene. You know, Richmond, Virginia had a massive scene. Yeah. You know, some of the Carolinas. It's these places that, like, that are all, not off the beaten path, but not as, like, they're not cities. You know, where, yeah. like, where people yeah. could, they, there's practice spaces. You can play in people's basements. Like, there's that, you know, yeah, kids are bored. It's ridiculously hard to do a band in, like, Brooklyn. Yeah. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're renting a space. It's way too much money. It's not enough room. Right. Uh, your, your gear is going to get stolen. You need a fucking car yeah. so you can bring your... And even, your even the New York... Hard- tough. And tough. when you talk about the New York hardcore scene, like, those a lot of those New York hardcore bands are from Queens or from Brooklyn. You know, like, there's really few bands that are from the city because there's just not that... There's not the accessibility to practice spaces and other shit like that. Right. So that's why, like, places like Long Island, Queens, that's where the bands form. They form in basements. Just they outside form in, of the city. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about oh, bands God. developing in the suburbs... Uh, well, do you ever pursue rap to the to the point where you record something or you perform live? Yeah, like when crew? I was uh, like, my other buddy, who's still one of my best friends, Will Birch. Like we we like did like a demo here and there, like we were kids, and nothing really ever came of it, you know. Okay. But that was it, you know. Like that was it. And then when I was about fifteen or sixteen, me and my best friend at the time, Josh Silverman, whose name is who we call Swank, who went on to be the first bassist of Cleanser. Um, we started some bands. So the first real band that I ever did before Cleanser was a band called Crawl Space. Okay. And the cool thing about Crawl Space was that we were the first band to ever play the PWAC. Wow. And everybody talks about like classic Long Island yeah. historic places. Yeah. The PWAC, the People with AIDS Coalition that's up on Route 109 in West Babylon mm-hmm. was the place that like, you know, even though there's places before them, but I think like Long Island Hardcore really found its stride in that spot, you know, and like in, in, in the PWAC. But and we were the first band to ever to luckily ever play that room. Wow, that's pretty historic. Yeah. Um, I, I talk about the Roxy here in Huntington, which was a little bit before my time a lot, uh, for metal. And I know there was a, a historic Cannibal Corpse played the PWAC oh at my one God, point when yeah. George Fisher first Oof. joined them. But yeah. that was like a rare metal show. The PWAC was like very renowned for hardcore and, and punk on Long Island, like you said. I was a little too young to get in there. I never went to a show there, but I would hear a lot from from older friends about that, and it was everyone knew the PWAG. Maybe you could talk a little bit just about, uh, just go on a little bit about sure. the relevance of the PWAG in the '90s to Long Island hardcore. Yeah, man. So Artie Philly, who is definitely the guy that like who did this before mm-hmm. me, who is a big reason of like why I do what I do because he like really showed me and other kids and other people like you could do these shows yourself. When people talk about a DIY ethic. They don't realize how true to form that term is. Like, you're doing everything yourself. And when you're a kid and you're like putting on these shows or putting out a record or being in a band, there's no one there. Like, and you have your Miyagi's that are like, hey, this is what you should do. They're but, consult. That's about it. Yeah, that's it. And they're not like, you're not like, there's no professionals that are like, hey, what's up? You know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I was like, you know, when I was 16 and I did my first show, the only per- book my first show, the only person I could look up to was Artie Philly because that's the only person I knew that also did shows, you know? So, and, and when we talk Artie Philly, just quickly for the listeners, he was the singer of Millhouse. Yeah. One of my personal favorite bands <clears throat> from this Long Island hardcore era we're describing and something we've gone into a little bit. And later on, he was in Concrete Cross. Yeah. He was uh, in Indecision, in the too. In Indecision. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's funny because with me being a metalhead, I know him from Millhouse more because, yeah. I, well, you know, Indecision, great. Band, just not my cup of yeah, tea. Yeah, totally. I yeah, was yeah. listening to Brutal Truth and stuff. Yeah. But Millhouse, so Millhouse is more my thing, but uh, not to interrupt, but just to uh, context to Artie Philly sure, is. Sure, sure. 
Uh, but please go on. Please go on. Yeah, so that was the thing. You know, like, Artie's a good example of somebody who did shows, but he was also in a band because that's kind of like how we all rolled. You know, like a lot of us, even though we had our side hustles, which were booking shows, putting out zines, you know, booking tours, whatever, a lot, everybody was still in bands because that's what you did. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, Artie ran that whole PWAC scene. That was him. Before that, it was uh, it was the Angle and Mineola. And I, I could say that, like, even though... The PWAC was large. I mean, you could fit 1,500 people in the PWAC, and VOD did, and some of these bigger bands did. But before that, when the scene was really focused around the angle and um, and VFW halls and literally people's backyards, that's where I think the close-knitness mm-hmm. of Long Island Hardcore came in, where, like, Neglect was a big band, Mind of Matter was a big band, you know, Clockwise, Solemn Majority, some cool mm-hmm. bands, you know, Three Ton Bridge, Sleeposaurus, uh, No Thought, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, wow. Disciplinary Action. I mean, there was, like, some real bands there. Let me throw Warped Weeble Wobbles. Well, I mean... I- I'm just trying to yeah. throw random names that you No, 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 I mean... Because you, and, and, you went on that tangent, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, and the Weebles, but the Weebles, the Weebles are yeah. best friends of VOD. Like the Weebles yeah, are yeah. from the same town yeah, as VOD. VOD right there, you could talk about Long Island Hardcore. That was a whole movie. Uh, so this yeah. this was all happening. So mm-hmm. like at on a smaller level, and then at some point, um, then at some point, um, Artie and these guys find the PWAC in, in April 1994. Another true story, which is pretty great. That day that Crawlspace plays the first PWAC show, that's the same day that Kurt Cobain dies. So it's this crazy, like, you know, Mm. life is happening, right? Like the biggest rock song in the world just dies. Mm. This really important part of the Long Island scene starts doing shows. And so, you know, at that same time, Artie's doing that. I get a bunch of money from a malpractice case and me and Swank, who eventually would be in Cleanser, get a warehouse in Hempstead and we open it up and start doing shows very illegally. And, uh, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. That was it. Oh, it was illegal as fuck, yeah. <laughs> and that was the summer of 19... That was the summer of 1994. Statue of limitations, though. Oh, yeah. No, no one's gonna come knocking on my door now. Maybe some other things I did in my, <laughs> in my teens, but not that. So, you know, so we now have this warehouse space that we're doing shows at in Hempstead and, you know, like VOD played the first show, Bouncing Souls played there. Eventually we do this amazing Straight Edge Fest that like Earth Crisis, Strife, Snapcase, Mouthpiece plays that show. Sick of it all just happens to be at the show and asks if they can get up and play. Damn. So 18 year old awesome. me is having a conversation with like my idols and they're like, yeah, we're going to play. So that summer of 94 for me was super important. Not only is that the year that I dropped out of high school, but and I, I dropped out of high school, which is funny considering like, like I have like a pretty good job now, but... <laughs> Um, hey, yeah, but like, but I dropped out of high school, but I still pursued my passion. Yeah, yeah. of course. So, 1994 is a super important summer where, like, the United Nations, which is the venue that I was, you know, owned, like, we're doing. You know, there were still some amazing shows at the PWAC. The Bloodlet played here for the first time. Chokehold played here. Oh my God, so Bloodlet! Bloodlet, oh, yeah, man, dude. All right, all right. I'm gonna we're gonna talk about Bloodlet on the podcast. Note, note to self. Keep all going. Right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so you have you have all of this happening and you know at that point VOD is a local band but their shows are getting bigger Neglect is about to break up Mind of a Matters is massive band so what happens eventually Neglect breaks up in 95 yeah Neglect breaks up in like about 95 Mm -hmm. Um, my warehouse gets shut down because I did it completely illegal I took all the money that I had in the warehouse and I opened up a record store um, in a flea market uh in Long Island, I mean, in West Hempstead called Shoppers Village. Then, me and my partner, 
I'm sorry. If I could yeah. stop you one second. Yeah, yeah. Could you go into a little more detail about how your place got shut down? Was was it like an eviction notice? Was it the cops breaking up a show? What happened? Yeah, basically what had happened was, um, like, in addition, I mean, as a 90s, so in addition to doing hardcore shows, we were doing raves. So, oh, nice. you know, yeah, I mean, that's, oh, how you, that's how you make the money. Well, the PWAC, oh, too, that's eventually... No, the the p- I'm, I'm laughing because in the 90s, I remember being on the LIRR and seeing kids. I didn't oh, go yeah. to raves. I was a metalhead kid. But I remember, like, people with the... The crazy Jenko jeans and neon oh. necklaces and the gear and yeah, it was a, a bunch thing. of kids with pacifiers down True here. story, dude. I say, oh, it, I say, I say it all the time. I, I single-handedly blame the fucking rave scene because to this day, girls with glitter... That's like my one. Like I see girl with glitter, I'm like, oh, I melt it's because the, the fucking rave girls, dude. Yeah. It's like Whoa. that that scene. I love that look. Like that, dude. that look. I still love. I I don't blame you, man. Um, it makes me feel now. No, no. <laughs> glitter's still abandoned. I knew girls about had glitter on their eyes. <laughs> this is crazy. I knew we were going down the New York hard, the Long Island hardcore wormhole with you, but the idea. Now we got to talk a little bit more about underground raves in the nineties. Because I didn't realize that this was allegedly part of your story. I'm going well, to tell the story. Yeah, so, I mean, not, not that it's really so much it's a part of my story, but I think the rave scene is just part of the underground story in the, in, in the 90s. You Absolutely, to, yeah. You have to keep in mind that, like, that... If you like punk or hardcore, one thing that you certainly are is you're not the mainstream. You mm-hmm. know, like you're alternative to the mainstream. Even though mm-hmm. back then you might go to Lollapalooza or might go to like some larger stuff, you're definitely not hanging out with the jocks in your high school. You're a different kind of a person. Mm-hmm. So the only other scene that was similar to that was the rave scene. So you had this scene that thrived in, in, in warehouses. You know, I give those dudes all the credit in the world, but the caffeine guys made this empire, this rave empire in Long Island. And they were guys in their 20s. T- they were a couple of years, only a couple of years old than me. Yeah, and I yeah. befriended them when I had my warehouse and they would tell me how they did their thing and they just brilliant dudes that like yeah. literally ran this rave empire as as kids that eventually came a clothing company. And But but anyway though, like... So as, as I'm sorry, but this yeah. is fascinating to me as because it's not my bag. My bag yeah, yeah, is totally. metal. Yeah, yeah. Um, as young guy, as a young man, uh, extremely young man, really running a, a rave, underground rave warehouse called with a rave, it, I'll ask you: Is there um, more of a drug element? Fuck yeah! Everybody okay. was on drugs. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, you know better than yeah, me. Yeah, so yeah, I'm asking yeah, you. Yeah. With that element there, how do you control that, um, and how do you deal with issues like security and stuff like a that? Pain in the ass. I mean, the thing that the thing that you know, I, I guess it's twenty years, and Artie and other guys can obviously talk more to this. But the thing that really put the nail in the Pewax coffin was um, Cablevision opened up next to the Pewax, and I think '96, and this uh, tabloid TV show called The American Journal sent cameras to the PWAC for a rave and they started highlighting the raves that were at the PWAC the drug use the underage nakedness whatever the hell was (laughs) going on there just debauchery (laughs) they highlighted it on the show Mm -hmm. so of course the fucking Dolans come out oh Cablevision got their way shuts down the PWAC shuts down this like you know which was scary it's funny I still have it I when I was like God, how old was I when the PWAC? I can't remember, but I typed. I still, it's really funny, but I typed this whole thing, and I printed it out on pieces of paper, and I made a thousand copies, and I handed her out about how, like, even though the PWAC is going to close, Long Island hardcore should not die, and we must thrive on. And I handed this out to every single person there about how, like, we're not going to let these people fuck mm-hmm. with our lifestyle, and what we're doing is so important, and we're moving. Fuck cable, yeah. I'll give my cable. <laughs> that, well, this I, what you're saying though. This was the spirit back then, because oh I, yeah. Even though I was, I, I had kind of a um, 
vicarious view of the Long Island hardcore. So I would go to a show here and there, and most of my friends in high school and from Huntington were hardcore people because death metal just wasn't popular. That was just kind of yeah. like my thing. Um, but I, I used to collect, and I still have almost every issue of Under the Volcano oh, magazine. Rich Black is the man, and, yeah. Yeah, and when you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, shout out to Rich Black. Um, but if you're talking about like handing out a pamphlet like that, like that was almost the spirit of that magazine in a lot of ways. It was local oh, people writing about That's the scene. That's what it was. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but... But uh, wow, man! I, before we get get too 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 far ahead, though, um, like, did you have designated people as security from the scene? I imagine you didn't hire. I, mean, I never did. Security. Like when I did when I did my raves, kind of, you know, because the mm-hmm. raves that I did was at the was at um was at the Underground Network, the spot that I ran. I'm not sure how Artie and those guys did it. I don't remember because I mean I was there. Yeah. You know, the other thing, like my contribution to the PWAC, I never booked any shows at the PWAC, but my contribution to the PWAC was that me and Brett from None of the Above Records actually put I'm, I'm sure you know none of the above was like that was like the death metal metal hardcore record store yes. in Lake Road back in the nineties. I could go I could talk at length about it. Yeah, oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, really yeah. important. So like yeah. me and Brett were buddies and both kind of kind of entrepreneurial for, for hardcore mm. kids. Like actually took a back room at the, at the PWAC and opened up a record store. So I took all the inventory that I had from the record store that I had opened in West Hempstead that eventually shut down and I put it in the PWAC where I basically had no rent and I just sold records huh. and that was like my gig as I was in Cleanser. Like, wow, yeah, I wow. did that for a little bit. Um, and then eventually Cleanser breaks up. I yeah. start doing shows again full time. But wow, yeah, so... There's um, a lot, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot to a it. Lot a lot going on back it. then, yeah. Anything um, anything at these underground parties in the 90s ever get hairy? Do you ever have any nights where you're just like, you wake, you're like, you know, like something crazy you know, happened, not, overdoses, drug yeah, situations? Yeah, I don't remember really seeing a lot of that, but I think at the hardcore shows, every once in a while, you would see some fights. They'd get violent back yeah, in the day, really right? Yeah, really fucking violent. That would just be out of control, because you have to think, like, there's really no security at hardcore shows in a warehouse or a VFW well, that, That's hall. what I was getting at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, so the raves, people did drugs, and every once in a while something crazy would happen. I don't remember seeing that much, but I remember there was a couple of times being at hardcore shows where I was like, someone's gonna die. Huh. You know, like, someone's yeah. really gonna die. Yeah. And then, you know, <clears throat> just because fights and just people, like, out, just yeah. being out of control. Yeah. Luckily, people would eventually break it up and they would respect the scene while we're there but every once in a while you'd have a dude that didn't know yeah what was going on and sh- I mean there's a, a stabbings you know like bo- you know fights like th- you know yeah. strangers would just show up that didn't get what we were trying to do right they just saw the violence and they're into it they're yeah. like holy shit I mean, we've all, uh, like we've all been to shows where yeah. people just don't get it it's one thing to throw elbows and be a little reckless but then yeah. there's some you know to, to well, start really fucking other people up yeah I mean also when you're talking about um, the Long Island hardcore scene in the 90s uh, there was, like I brought up before, there was no, uh, or not a lot of uh, cameras, surveillance wasn't what it used to be, camera phones aren't, weren't you no. know, a- available. Fighting, violence, weapons, people getting away with things was a lot more prevalent before all these things, and, and people may not think about that nowadays. And I also know in Long Island, I don't want to bring up names or names of crews really, but um, you, had a, you had various groups of skinheads. Uh, of, oh fuck of, those guys! Yeah, of, the, oh, the, of, oh the bonehead you mean? Of, like well, the bonehead skins? Well, various groups. There was boneheads. Yeah. There was non-political skins that yeah. were not racist, but were just kind of blue blue-collar tough guys. They well, were, that's they, what fucked up. The, that's they, one they of the things. Boneheads, but yeah, well, yeah, go, yeah. Go on. You know where I'm going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, like, you know, I'll I'll say this shit, and I'm being fucking dead serious. If it wasn't for certain crews, <clears> like certain crews, keep the shit alive. Hundred percent, hundred fifty fucking percent. There's certain yeah. like, like, and we know what's there, but there's certain crews that keep. If, if it's not for those crews, hardcore would have been dead. I mean, they police it. They know how to fucking to keep it going. It, that shit's important. 
But unfortunately, there also there always was some people that she's just hardcore to their own benefit and did some negative shit, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. and specifically, also about the PWAC, the first time the PWAC shut down, it was because a bunch of skin showed up and you know like broke a girl's arm. And then mm-hmm. unfortunately, the girl sues the PWAC and fucking the PWAC has this. That's the first time the PWAC shut down. Shut down. So there was always that element, you know, like there was the the violent group of people mm-hmm. that used it to their own advantage because if no one's gonna tell them that if you're the toughest guy in the room and there's 10 of you mm-hmm. who's going to stop you mm-hmm. you know and there's mm-hmm. no security so that that was an issue that definitely was an issue uh, well the VFW hall here in Huntington Station uh, had shows for a short period of time and that got shut down because a local skinhead crew uh, graffitied up the bathroom from what I understand I mean this is going back 20 years yeah also too in, in addition know. to that one of the other things the skins did Again, and these were these these were not the sharp non-political well, skins. When, we when you say boneheads, that generally means the, the kind of Nazi yeah, racist yeah, yeah. skinheads. Yeah, yeah. And we should clarify for listeners who don't know: there's also skinheads that are apolitical or who are against racism and yeah. Nazism. There's at this point, you could probably Google there's skinheads of various different political affiliations. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, being a skinhead just doesn't necessarily connotate Nazism and racism, and people can look that up. If no, they definitely don't not. It's that. funny too when you actually yeah. have conversations now because it's so far removed that like yeah. I don't think people like realize that the majority of skins are cool you know like yeah, yeah. and actually yeah. We're, we're planning on having a whole episode with a friend of mine who is a, a obviously skin. a non-racist non-nazi cool. skinhead awesome uh, I mean, and has immersed himself in that oi culture and is generally a wonderful person it man. runs deep because when you told me you want to have this dude on you're like yeah i want to have my skinhead friend on <laughs> tom's like whoa yeah I'm like I, I i know i know will you're not going to bring anyone shady down here yeah yeah but at the same time i like just gonna ask yeah Nazi, more more of a type of guy that likes to uh, um, is very proud to be a blue collar worker and listens to a lot of ska. I will, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, no, but we still, also like, we yeah. also we also identified that. Like when I first like was like, oh, I'm a hardcore kid. I shaved my head when I was 17. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My brother, who is a very blatant homosexual, like like also subscribed. Who is very like, and I'm, the only reason I bring that up is because. You know, he also shaved his head. You know, like we just identified with that, like that skinhead culture back then. You know, and and that's just what everyone did. You know, like certainly nowhere near like it was apolitical. You know, sharp. You know, I mean, New York City is an amazing place. You know, how many you know, like one of my brother's best friends is, is a black skin from New York City. You know, like and so that scene, that culture is so big here. Um, but yeah, there was a po- there was definitely a point in time though that the bonehead thing was a problem. Well, where, where it was real, and and like you said, you had a lot of like sharps is the skinheads against racial prejudice, and that was a group, and even just other skinhead crews that were uh, apolitical, just more of your street kind of street guys. Yeah, there was a crew of skinheads right here in Huntington. Oh, tons of tons of Huntington um, skins. And yeah. I remember at one point they were hanging out with a lot of like the Latino and, and African American kids from, from yeah. my town. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody got along once people realized like, well, not all skinheads are. Like American History X, but um, but yeah. So I, you know, I just want to touch on that because that's something people might might not realize, and it's a it's kind of an interesting part of history that people would be, you know, uh, fuck yeah, and especially you know, and again, I think like you know, talking about Long Island, the ravers, the skinheads, the alternative kids, the skaters, the like, just weird kids. That was all part of Long Island hardcore. We had mm-hmm. all these random ass people that were part of the scene. Breakfast Club. Yeah, we were hundred percent the Breakfast Clubs here. I, the way that I call it, I call it the Lost Boys. Did you know, like you know, and not not the fucking Canary's Mullet Lost Boys, but like hook. you know, the kid with the hook, you know, with the raccoon hats. Oh right, because right. Not Michael. 
Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the idea that like we never grow up. You know, like you have this like mishmash of people. Like think about it. Like I'm doing the same. Like here we are talking about hardcore. Literally, <laughs> we would have been doing the same shit 30 years ago. Like yeah. you yeah. know, like 30 years ago, we'd be in someone's basement. You guys would be drinking beer. I'd be drinking soda, talking about music. Like we're mm-hmm. the fucking Lost Boys, and that's cool. Yeah. You know, but I, like I don't really think of myself like that uh, until just now. But that yeah. really clicks. You know, because no, I, I just want to do the shit I want to do. Like, you do want to do the shit, but like, yeah. but as you grow up and you get money and like like look at this you're not gonna have this fucking awesome studio set up when you're 13 or 14 but no. because you're a grown up and you're still doing the things you love you buy the toys you need yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all the toys you yeah, could do it up, yeah. you know and like how to grow up and stay a kid in your heart and like not yeah. be because well, you, you need to grow up like you know like it's one thing to run to an adult child yeah but like an adult who who appreciates what they their heart is telling them to do and all this well, stuff. That's I mean, what this culture is all about. Yeah, yeah. I, I work like 60 hours a week to support myself being able to go on tour with a death metal band. You know, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's but it's like, you know, that's the reality of the situation is like when I was 13, I thought you could live off a of death metal, but now I realize you got to, you know, yeah. so you grow oh, up yeah, and you're still, yeah. you, you know, you got to adjust to be an adult, <laughs> but you still pursue some of your passions if you really love them, you know. So and and for me, like I, I know before before we did this interview, I was like, yo, I, I work for a big promoter. We just can't say the name, but like I work for, I work for the largest concert promoter co- promoter in the world and you know and if it wasn't you work for fire festival yeah, yeah. if it wasn't for and and i'm what lucky i am so lucky to do what i do right i'm i get up in the morning and sometimes i don't want to go to work but at the end of the day i'm like yo i'm booking concerts dude like i you know i'm doing what i set out to do when i was 16 yeah. and if it wasn't for the fact that i have this youth culture that i'm surrounded by that i still adhere to and worship and like hang out in I don't know that I would have the same enthusiasm for going to work every day, you know? But the fact that, like, I grew up around that and I have that passion, and we all have that passion, that shit can't die. Like, once that passion dies, like, you just don't care. You die. You die. Like, you know? It's like, if if your passion for music died, you couldn't be in a band. You know, if your passion for music died, you wouldn't care about recording shit. You know, like, like once that passion dies, it doesn't matter. But Mm -hmm. luckily, we found that passion, which is why our lives are so fulfilling. Wow, you said a mouthful, man, and I identify with a lot of what you said. Though I I didn't like the 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 lost voice thing, the uh, you know the the, you know the you die with that. I I identify with all that, man. Um, Like, look, we're talking a lot about booking these shows. We talked about the '90s and everything, but moving forward. how do you make the transition? Because I assume you don't just go from being a teenager and, and, and supporting yourself off of booking concerts, right? Like, how do you make a transition to moving out to the New York City area uh, and getting involved with, like, very professional uh, sure. concert promoters and, and venues? So I'm going to lie and say, long story short, but I'll do the best that I can. So essentially what <laughs> happened... It's all, we're, we're abandoning format at this point because you're rolling and it's going Sorry, good. Sorry, yeah, no, I told you. Oh, no, it's it's yeah. natural and it's going good. Keep going, bro. So basically what happens is... Uh, we could totally. I know, I know Dave was on the show and want to tell some cleansing stories. So basically, my like, you know, my little little hit list is, um, you know, I the hook is not the hooker. I'm sorry, allegedly <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. So basically, it goes something in this order, and I'll try to break it down the best that I can. It goes. 
book it, book it shows as a heist as a teenager, opening up a venue, opening up a record store in a flea market, opening up a record store, a standalone. And I have to say, R.I.P. to Brian, who I uh, used to own the record store Halo Zero with, passed away. Mm. Great guy, taught me a lot, but unfortunately died a couple of years ago. Mm. That record store closes, open up a record store inside the PWAC. Um, and then at the time, I'm also in this band, Cleanser, who I think, you know, I think I'm gonna be a rock star, I'm gonna be in this huge <laughs> band. Here's the thing, I can't fucking sing. That was real nice when you got, when Dave was on the show and you're like, how is Christian on stage? And Dave just goes, great stage presence, which is like AKA for he can't sing. I still believe him, I still, I still yeah. believe him. Oh, no, 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 oh, Dude. I have amazing stage presence, but I can't fucking sing. I'm a character, but like, I can't. Performer. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, well, I, I mean, there's a lot, like, look, I can't, you want, you don't want to hear me try to carry a note, man. I, no, I gurgle and but I was, I was, but like as a singer, like, yeah. it's my shit and I can't do it. So, you know, Cleanser, Cleanser has an amazing time in Europe. We break up in Europe, unfortunately, because of some bullshit. We come back, mm. and at that point, I'm like, I book shows. That's what I do. You know, mm. like, I book shows. Mm. And I started really focusing on booking shows. And at that time, in the late 90s, Deja One was really where a lot of the scene was focused on. You know, like, so we had amazing bands come through Deja One. You know, Earth Crisis, uh, Indecision, you know, I mean, I say it all the time, fucking Cleanser's last show at Deja mm -hmm. One was with System of a Down. Wow, um, amazing. wow. Yeah. Can you tell us just, um, maybe if you remember what year that was? And 99. So how big was System of a Down? I imagine they that was like not big. That was that must have been just before they got big. Though. Yeah, what happened the, was that was the uh, that was the um, self titled that was uh, yeah. yeah the self titled had come out. Toxicity is when they blew the fuck up. Yeah, it was yeah. two years later. So yeah. basically, what happens is I am booking a lot of shows at that point, and I'm starting to make like record company connections here and there, mm -hmm. and you know even though my focus is hardcore shows and some other th you know Ska's really big at the time so I'm doing some Ska shows I know Deja One was huge for a lot of people of our huge. generation yeah where was that um, back then in that, Mineola uh, on uh, Willis Avenue yeah, Tom, you know, Tom Andrew brings up Deja One almost every time I talk to him about old shows and stuff like oh that. I mean yeah. Deja Deja you know Pewak and Deja are so important to the fabric yeah, of Long Island yeah, hardcore and punk rock and you need that and also too Ska you know Ska is you know really like you said before you're, you're skinned friend like Ska is really important to the culture of Long Island and that gateway Drug, you know, Edna's Goldfish, Step Lively, mm. um, the Toast, uh, not sorry, uh, the Scofflaws. The like, Huntington's own. Well, I know that there's some members that that have Huntington roots in the Scofflaws. Oh, Scofflaws, yes, Spider Nick yeah. and the Mad Dogs. There's yeah. a lot, you know, Seven to One. There was a lot of really important ska bands out in Long Island, mm -hmm. and that started at Deja. A lot of that was at Deja One. Ch Chimichanga, wasn't it from? Yeah, my yeah. best friend in the whole entire world is Chris from Chimichanga. I just, I'm just thinking about. He's like, from West Hempstead. Under He's the volcano West, yeah. ads and stuff, everything's yeah. like flowing through my head. Yeah, right literally, now. my yeah. best, yeah. my best friend that I did all my first with. Is Chris That's Andrews funny, from yeah. I remember like getting one of their things just based on the name because I thought it was funny. Oh, such yeah. a good name, dude! Uh, me and Chris, uh, me and Chris were going to see Faith No More play at the Malibu, and uh, and and um, and Little Beach, and we were at Seven Eleven, and he saw the name Chimichanga. True story on at like a, on a Seven Eleven like Frozen thing, and he's <laughs> like, "That's the best name." And the next day, he formed the Ska Band. <laughs> That's, That's wow, dude! Because you're you're like. You're completing <laughs> completing some of the most obscure high school lore for me because I remember <laughs> That's seeing really how it happened. Yeah, I remember seeing them in like and like I you know I had a sense of humor. I was more of a metalhead, but under the volcano was the shit. And anything that was the from Long shit. Island, yeah, like I liked a little bit of ska. But if it was from Long Island or Huntington, and they played like I, I remember seeing the ska flows play with like World Stranger and hardcore bands yeah. here in Huntington and stuff. Yeah. So like you said. Ska was always associated with punk and hardcore through the skinhead scene in the 90s. Yeah, so it kind of got a pass for us, like, 
extreme music guys. You know and, what I and mean? And I know what I said about the rave girls before, but ska girls of oh, be still. <laughs> <laughs> be still, my heart. Those plaid skirts. Oh my god. Well, <laughs> Holy you know, shit. Oh, it's under the volcano. Oh, the plaid. Oh, I love it. I only uh, fuck to the upbeat. I just tried to, <laughs> try to do horny Christian voice. Oh, those cool skirts! Oh, you just you just said uh, you, before you said the Breakfast Club, and you were talking. But you're right. In the '90s, I mean, today you see everyone. There's, I guess, we're you know we're not we're not as young. Now it's a new generation, but in the '90s it was like, yeah, everyone had an identity like that. There was yeah. the metalheads, the hardcore kids, the yeah. stock, you know, the the skinheads. It was the it ravers. Was yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. kind of did their thing. So yeah. you know, well, I, I'm I'm sorry to stop. Yeah, please, you, yeah. But I just want to before we get too far ahead, I just got one more cleanser question. Please um, ask away. Could you just describe for us because uh, Keith Moore? Um, <laughs> as we know now, producer yeah. uh, of Buckshot Facelift, Grey Skies Fall, and he's done a lot of work with other Long Island local bands and everything. Very eccentric man, a good friend of mine. Amazing Love man. Love the guy. Amazing man, must um, be mentioned. Yeah, good but, guy. But uh, uh, as Dave... Well, Dave described the first time he met him as like he was just wearing a pair of shorts and barefoot in the street and, and walking his drums yeah, around. Yeah, I can like, one-up you. This is crazy. Yeah, this is what I'm looking for. Oh, Go, ahead. Ready? Go ahead. So Proceed. Proceed. This is crazy. So the first conversation <laughs> I ever had with Keith Moore, Keith was dating a friend of mine who also booked shows. This is way back in the 90s. And <laughs> him and this person were walking to their car at the PWAC, and they got fucking mugged. Ooh. And Keith comes running back and he goes, Yo, she got mugged. And so, like, every hardcore kid empties out and goes and chases down these these dudes that mugged him and his girlfriend at the time. Wow. I don't think we caught up with them, but then the last time, the next time I saw Keith, he was trying out for our band. And I was like, Yo, that's the fucking kid that got mugged. <laughs> and and anyway, that was like my first impression of Keith. Oh my God. And then, and then my second impression of Keith is this lanky skinny beanpole with long fucking bangs not even like long hair and he was animal like yo he <laughs> would do things on the drums that didn't even make sense and his drums didn't make sense I didn't even know what a fucking piccolo snare was till I saw this kid I was like what is he playing like it yeah. literally looked like he would go to like the fucking instrument like room in, in a high school and just pick up all the different <laughs> drums and put them together it was like alright I'm gonna be in this hardcore band and if you listen to Cleanser it literally listens to the it sounds like the everlasting gobstopper machine and fucking Willy Wonka it's like yeah, well, you, know, you know Keith's from Patchogue there might have been some broken glass from the store Front still on those drums, you never allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. Yeah, Keith. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, man. Keith is a Keith is a guy that I should give a lot more credit to for somebody who I like in my life. That's been like a good like, you know. I, I love the guy. Very eccentric personality. But he's a love, great person, though. He's such a good dude. Yeah, and like very talented. Recently, man. you know, like recently, like we were talking, and like you could just tell he was so like concerned with me. Like he's just a caring dude. You know, like he's just a great good person. friend. Yeah, highly good, recommended as a producer for any everything. Yeah, out as there. a producer, yeah, as yeah. a drummer, as like as somebody you just want to talk to. Him and, and uh, Tom Ander, a friend of Tom Ander, plays in Buckshot Face yeah, yeah. with me. Um, and and the band Grace guy's fallen friend of the show and he's in a new band with keith moore where keith moore's playing drums again for the oh first i love time that in a while. Shit. i love that so yeah we're gonna keep our eyes on that i don't really have much to update about that so wait the one funny cleanser story that i was gonna tell before actually that we that there's a lot of really good cleanser stories I mean, mostly, <laughs> this is what i'm looking for mostly yeah. mostly about me being a terrible singer but like who cares about you meeting the famous people no 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 yeah yeah <laughs> no the one the one really funny cleanser story so cleanser goes to europe based on the fact that derek was in the galactic and that's what anybody care. You know, we go to Europe and yeah. like, you know, I don't know how much you guys have talked about neglect on this show. 
just for the listeners, you can go back to our interview with Nick Capiocho, formerly of the Communion. That's where I talked about Neglect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might have brought them up a few times. Neglect is like one of my all-time favorite bands of any genre. Yeah, I've, I'm obsessed with their music. Still listen to it and collect it. I could go on for days. And just to speak what you, to what you're saying, they definitely had a bit of a cult following in the hardcore Fuck. scene beyond New York, in New York and beyond um, in yeah. the '90s. Yeah. So when they broke up, like you're saying, a band with an ex-member of Neglect might yeah. have had a little clout, right? It had clout, but it also worked against us because we were so different than what Neglect was. Like yeah. I was, you know, I was yeah. singing about feelings. Yeah. I fucking, you know, like would scream about girls that would that broke my heart much different and style than no neglect, yeah. like I would like talk about like being said and this guy literally was screaming about killing himself every song yeah. well he also so, I mean you were more of a high pitched <clears throat> screamer oh, type of vocalist yeah, yeah. he was just kind of like your your blue collar New York guttural angry guy you know like, his voice is fucking gonna blow so my fucking good, brains yeah. out you know like yeah just you know like, yeah 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 so I I'm not so, gonna go on a neglect tangent I promise no. myself right oh, now I could too I do it all the time one of my all time favorite bands though and for the listeners can check that out for themselves but yeah, so um, so, so we form, yeah, we yeah. Fo- we form in the, uh, on the heel, the heels of neglect, and unfortunately for a good life of our band, people think that we're going to be neglect, and we're just totally something different. But yeah. what's funny, we go to Europe, and and I think the reason why we went to Europe was because the promoter thought that we were going to be like, you know. We were ex-neglect, so and neglect had been to Europe right before they broke up, and mm-hmm. it's this legendary tour that people still talk about today, and it's the only time. It's like the Sex Pistols coming to the states, mm-hmm. like they literally went to Europe once and played all these shows, and all these European kids are cutting themselves. And it's huh. this fucking crazy thing. But I remember like going to Europe and having conversations with like kids, like and being like, you know. I don't get it. Your band is not so good. Like, Neglect is very good. How is it that you're bad? Because they're very good. And you're, like, not good. And, like, that's fucking every day I'm having this conversation. Uh, Fucking shoot me. But what's funny, though, is the day before we go to on a European tour, Cleanser and Glassjaw play at, um, play at Deja One. And we're playing the show. It's amazing. Your boy Dave Case does this crazy ninja move where like one hand sweeps and hits me with his elbow in the jaw and then the other and then his base stock hits me in the fucking teeth mm. and like chips oh. my two front teeth and my jaw pops out of the socket so <laughs> luckily I have a friend Dr. Dean Olson who's a hardcore kid who I call up and I can't believe Dr. Dean's home at this point because this is before cell phones is and this um, a, a legit doctor or is that Nick? He's a legit doctor. Okay. He like runs an emergency room now in Long Island. That he's sounds like, like a fake doctor. Dr. Dean. But yeah, what's yeah. funny, but th- we have great stories about Dr. Dean sewing us up like in my house because like, we would all go to hardcore shows and get the fights with everyone. Like, and he's still, to this day, like to this day, if I'm, if I'm like, yeah, I wow. fucking fuck myself like, up. It's like a mafia movies where they got the doctor that's on the payroll. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, 100% like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. You remember when you broke your arm at the Ultra Guys show? Yeah. Like, I called, I, called do- I called Dr. Dean. Fucking so I literally called Dr. Dean. I was like, yo, my arm's broken. He's like, you're a doctor. So. This is all allegedly, by the way. Yeah. We don't know about Dr. Dean's medical yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, no, doc, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I called Dr. Dean, and I'm like, dude, my shit is busted. So he meets me at Winthrop. I, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Eventually, Dr. Dean just goes to me, fuck it, I'll pop your jaw back in. So we're in the mm-hmm. fucking parking lot of Winthrop Hospital, and he pops my fucking jaw back in. My ears are popping. I'm in fucking pain. And then later that night, me and Dr. Dean are just chilling before I have to fucking get on the plane tomorrow, go to Europe. And he's just like... Yo, 
Let's just throw some fucking basketballs at a train. So me and Dr. Gene are like throwing basketballs at a train at like fucking three in the morning. <laughs> My fucking Joe's all fucked up. So Cleanser goes to Europe, right? And this is the fuck. <laughs> and didn't you guys take like a crew of people who weren't in the band to Europe? Yo, I heard that story and that story made my blood boil because even though that I'm, oh. I'm friends with everybody now, those guys treating me like shit because they were like... They How were many people was it? It was a lot. It was like smarts, this kid dog, people that did nothing. People just went to Europe No, I wanted to invite my friends. They're like, fuck you, you can't sing. You don't have any say. So it's ironic now those guys are so nice to me because of the position that I hold. Now they're my fucking best friend. Back then they were God. shitty. Christian, not can you get me into the show? Oh, you have no <laughs> idea. The irony now my relationship with some of those dudes. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I'm not Doug Gregory, right? No, Doug. Uh, uh, shout out to Doug Gregory. No, I can't remember. Right. Anyway. Okay, okay, okay. So we're in Europe. This, this is a great story. So we're, we got, we're in fucking Europe. It's a disaster. Everyone's drunk, of course. There's a, the only adult in charge is me and the fucking... And the guy that booked the tour that everyone hates, and everyone already hates me, that's established. So I'm like the, the like the sober guy that's trying to get everyone to, to get their shit straight. We get to this club in France where the tour was me, I mean me, tours Cleanser, Arkham, which is Derek's other band, and Chemical Posse from Italy, who are great dudes. So we get there, and at that time, Derek gave no fucks about Cleanser. All he cared about was Arkham. So Arkham, 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 that was gonna do everything. So we get to the show, and they're like, dude, you guys are four hours late. You're gonna fu you can't play. Only one band can play. And we're just like, fuck it, let Arkham play. And then they're like, <laughs> and they're like, no, you don't understand. Like, whatever, oh, I forgot what it was, but there was like some nationally syndicated French hardcore like radio show. And the cleanser intro was the intro to that show. So all the kids that were there we were there to see us. And I was like... So the one show that they wanted you at? We weren't going to play. Oh, so we're God. like, fuck it, let's just play. So the show starts, and it's like a dream. Like, as a hardcore kid, this is my dream. There's people fucking hanging off the chandelier. It's There's fights. People are jumping off shit. It's mayhem. Unfortunately, though, what happens, as soon as the fucking first song comes, and the big song, yeah. I get hit in the fucking face my jaw pops. Oh, my God. So oh. I'm sitting there, and the other... This is the best part. Keith... At the time, it was a lunatic. Cut his hand open like like three nights before in Germany, uh, like a, on a beer bottle. So uh, as he's playing, his hand just starts bleeding everywhere. So as this fucking dude is rocking out, there's blood splattered everywhere, and I'm sitting next to the drum kit trying to shove my fucking jaw back in the socket, and all these French kids are moshing the shit out of each other. <laughs> it's like such a scene. And then yes. Anthony Delessio from Arkham is doing, I could see him in the distance doing some kind of crazy flaming shot and he sets his eyebrows on fire. <laughs> what the? So, okay. Dude, okay. there's this, yeah, there's this mayhem happening, right? Oh my, like, okay. This is all happening. No, seriously, this, this is, is like real. This is like a of Yo, hardcore shit. This like, is happening. What is fucking fuck? Yeah, this is totally happening. It's like Final Destination. So, because I know everybody has their like first tour stories, but that oh. was that was that wasn't my the first tour. That was Cleanse's first tour. Guy sets his face. That's when I was <laughs> all right. Uh, you ever see that dude? He looks like he set his face on fire. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, so, so, so this good. is all, this is all happening. Jesus. This is all, ha dude. Yeah, this this is all real. This and is then, karma for throwing and basketballs then cleanser, on the train. Oh my god! And then cleanser breaks up. That's how it happens. But <laughs> wow, dude, cleanser breaks up. 
But what's funny though? So you, wait, wait, you guys, you got to tell the story about a band breaking up in Europe and having to fly back to New York. Okay, so what happens how, how, is how, how dark is what that? happens is I know I'm gonna Jesus Christ, some of the guys in Clench are gonna be you're a piece of shit for telling us our fucking. If you shit. don't want to tell, that's comfortable. We can edit it out, dude. No, we're telling it. Fuck them. All right. Fuck so them. anyway, though, like I said, Arkham, Arkham, Arkham. People like you know fucking Keith will tell you this shit too. Like at that point, Derek, who's still a good friend of mine, just you know was at a place where he cared a lot more about Arkham than he did about Cleanser. And I, and also, too, I know a lot of it had to do with the fact that I just honestly couldn't sing. And people, like, really held that against Cleanser. Um, which is ironic now, but whatever. So, like, so... We go to Poland. And we can't get into Poland because... Because Ted, who is the bassist of Arkham, who we coincidentally kicked out of Cleanser, but, like, Derek asked to be back in Arkham, is in this band... And he, unbeknownst to all of us, he's a Canadian citizen, not an American citizen. So he wasn't able to get into Europe, was to get into, get into Poland because of the proper visas. So we tried for about five hours to get in and then couldn't get in to oh. Poland. And then we went another route and tried to get in and couldn't get in. And so we were like, we had 15 dates left, like Estonia, Finland, Sweden, like... Norway, all these amazing dates left mm-hmm. that we couldn't get to because we couldn't get to Poland, so we couldn't, you know, do that loop around and right. and, and and finish yeah. the tour. So we gathered in a Berlin apartment and basically had a conversation about what to do. So the Arkham contingent was like, "We're going home," and the other half of us were like, "Well, fuck Arkham. Why don't we just do the tour?" And again, we're all friends now, but this is back twenty something years ago fuck Arkham, why don't we just get rid of Arkham, I'll get rid of Ted, and we'll fucking finish the tour. No one wanted to do it. Half the guys just weren't psyched for the tour anyway. They go home. Some of us, me, Dave, Smarts, who's the guy that toured with us, and uh, a couple of the people in Keith stay in Europe for two weeks. And, we st- we and stay Derek, in Germany. Derek? Derek went back. Oh, okay, so that, that's kind of like kaput, Done, though. we're done, yeah, we're right. done. And, that, and at that point, it was pretty evident to us that nobody really wanted to be in Cleanser. Mm-hmm. So we're like, fuck it, we're finished. You know, like, we kind of knew. And at that point, like, you know, there was rumors they were going to kick me out, and I was kind of like the business guy in the band, so I kind of did everything. So it just kind of happened that way. It naturally, we naturally broke up. Mm-hmm. You know, our, first, our last, like, real show was this live recording of this record that never came out that like uh that indecision salt majority mailhouse and all these bands played but yeah so we we had broken up in 1998 that was it and then i had pursued like i was getting with before the rest of my life as like a music industry guy yeah i kind of went from there that's tough that's a really high pressure situation where i'm sure everybody wasn't in like the right frame of mind to really make a decision oh it was a mess it was it was you guys were young we were kids, people were broke, you know, like, yeah. I mean, the guy that booked the tour did a pretty bad job, it was his first tour, he didn't do a good job, you know, like, with the exception of me and Derek, no one else there literally had ever been on tour, you know, I had been on tour with some friends' bands, Derek had been on tour with Neglect, but nobody else there had been on tour, mm-hmm. you know, I remember, what's funny is that, one of the shows we played was just crazy, we played, uh, we played Belgium with the Get Up Kids, and now wow, the Get Up Kids yeah. are my buddies, and, like, it's funny that, like, that's how we met them. And they're and Braid too, that other like really seminal emo band. Wow. Seminal wow, emo band. Right. And and I remember like I read something from Braid that was like, Yeah, we played with some weird New York band in Belgium 
and uh, it was their first tour ever, and not surprisingly, they broke up. So, and it makes sense. <laughs> oh, it's like, I mean, shade. no, but it's, like, it's true. It's yeah. like, I, of course, we we're going to break up, yeah. you know, like under those circumstances. So now, like, those, you know, Derek, I love, Keith, I love, <laughs> everyone, it, it turned out the way that it should. Yeah. Well, you we're know? also talking ancient history at this yeah, point. Yeah, 22 years ago, yeah. Um, and it's funny you bring up the Get Up Kids. I just wanted to point out for the listeners. Uh, you know, we, we've I've talked a little bit before about how the term emo means something totally different now than it meant in the 90s when it meant, uh, I guess, this kind of like hardcore scene adjacent indie yeah, rock. Totally. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. And the Get Up Kids were kind of like, like they were maybe like one of the flagship ship bands of what I'm talking yeah, about you in can the say 90s. Like along yeah. with uh, um, Promise uh, Ring. Yeah, thank you. The Promise the Ring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so we had we had I got my fill of, of cleanser banter and Keith Moore crazy stories. Man. Yeah. shout out to Keith Moore and Dave. Um, moving forward, though, you start booking shows. Uh, Justin brought up a point, man. Like what? Like what kind of shows were you booking in the '90s? How were the genres mixed? And maybe like, is there a big difference today in how genres intermix? Yeah, I would say back then because everything was like so underground based, and I know that saying sounds so trite, but it really was because yeah. they were these were DIY shows that I and other people were doing. You know, um, even though like the Roxy had existed in other places, these were like real hall shows. You know, like being set up, and you know most of those bands back there were hardcore bands. Like I said, ska was a thing too, but every once in a while, you know, like we would do like you know the metal shows and stuff i mean obviously internal bleeding was so big so like you know they would they would play some shows and i can't remember if pyrexia was a band at the time but well, Py pyrexia has kind of always been a band yeah. um you know they've had periods of inactivity over the years and uh shout out to chris basile he's he's had um uh, a lot of different lives he's like the one og member that's kept it going i'm actually filling in for pyrexia on vocals oh, I, I mentioned that um coming i love up. that it's awesome but um uh i know pyrexia and internal bleeding played a lot um what was the band um oh my god this is killing me because you would you would know who i'm talking about the hardcore band that would play with a lot of death metal what the fuck was it it wasn't a strong intention was it it was a uh, strong intention from from baltimore probably yeah, not down know, there, yeah. a long island band that would oh this is killing me dude shit because you know who i'm talking about fuck fuck fuck, fuck. they a played they B played <laughs> they played in amityville all the time at, at crawdaddy's and you know whatever that tension? place was not, attention would be one of them but that's oh my god this is killing me dude what was that band? Um, in, in, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got uh, strong intention. Strong intention. No, 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 no. Why do I keep saying? It's <laughs> killing me. Um, right, we'll have to pass on that for now. Yeah. All right, Keith, I'm, I'm going to see if Google can help me. If you okay. remember, just slot it so, in right But I'll, there. I'll say this. This is, this is Not actually... Not to derail you, yeah. No, this is actually a funny story. So when Deja was, like, killing it, and we were trying to, like, kind of branch out a little bit and do more underground stuff, I booked an Emulation Nile show. Sick. And wow. that was one of the first, like, bigger metal shows I can think of. And I learned real quick that there's a much different production need from metal bands and hardcore bands because Nile wouldn't play the show because I didn't have the PA that was up to their specification. Specification. Wow. And what, what story. year roughly are we 1998. talking? 1998. Yeah, I remember seeing them That's back a true then. Story. And even back then they had like a synth pad or some yeah. kind of element like that. Wow, okay. And they showed up and they're like, we're not playing. And I'm like, I'm not fucking paying you. <laughs> and I remember arguing with them. Emulation was cool as shit. They played. Internal Bleeding was on the show. They played. But... You know, that was, as a kid, you kind of learned the hard way is like what 
people need as far as like PA stuff. And yeah. like when you're playing like, you know, with speakers on a stick, you don't realize that. But right. when you're dealing with bigger bands, and that's something I unfortunately learned the hard way when I started doing bigger bands that like, you know, the, the PA that I had and Glenn, the sound guy who, you know, seemed like he was on speed all the time. Like hmm. he just couldn't cut it for certain bands. And that's like when you like, that's trial by fire when yeah. you're doing anything DIY. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't at that point have the Miyagi to be like, this is what you have to do. I had to figure that out myself. Right. And there was a lot of times I was in really bad situations at shows that I was just weighing over my head where I would book bands, you know, whether it was metal bands, you know, the first time I booked Less Than Jake, who was big at the time, or this band Homegrown. I remember just like having no idea what I was doing. Mm. And even, even true story, the Get Up Kids, even though they were my friends, the first time I did a Get Up Kids show, my sound guy that day just decided not to bring microphones. Oh boy. And he would always threaten not to bring mics. And that was the day he didn't bring mics. Because he's like, you guys break the mics. I'm sick of this shit. So like, he actually came to the Get Up Kids show with no mics. So we had to go fucking run to Sam Ash and buy a shitload of mics. So, like, yeah, there's like a lot that's, of... St- that's the whole profit down the drain, right? Yeah, like, dude, there was... A, yeah, for real. Like, yeah. I wasn't making a lot of those shows. So there was yeah. a lot of stories like that where, like, you're kind of figuring it out yourself and you're just kind mm-hmm. of in over your head, you know? And, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, it wasn't until, like, when Deja closed... When Deja stopped doing shows, the reason why Deja One stopped doing shows was because um, there's always a great story about every venue about why they stopped doing shows, Mm -hmm. but they specifically stopped because as the dude... So Deja One was a Portuguese social club. I think that's what it was really used (laughs) for. So you started from like going to shows there and then you were booking shows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was still booking shows while Deja was open, but like I started just going like, you know, because my friends did shows there, then eventually yeah. I just took it over and I did all okay. the shows there. And the old, the guys there were like, we can't do shows. And I'm like, why? And they're like, the last show you booked, it's fucking dudes in like a Chevy Blazer were doing donuts on someone's front lawn. And that was like huh. always the risk Sorry. you ran. Because like whenever you did shows, there was just, you know, you have unsupervised kids going nuts, whether they're getting, like we are saying before, fighting, getting drunk on the bathroom, vandalizing, you know, neighbors' houses, peeing on the neighbor's floor you know there's just there's no yeah there's yeah. no adult in, ch- adult in charge so you know like with a lot of venues that was always a problem and especially Deja that would happen there so Deja won 2000 stopped you know stopped doing shows and then at that point we had to find the new venue and then then you know when Deja closed that was when there was like a real big switch where like the heavier hardcore bands that we knew kind of started dying out it wasn't that heavy and this new emo scene like mm. came over full force so where was that going on at? But that like there was smaller bars there was what's what the fuck's it called the spot that's actually AMH now was called it was like Broadway it was, well, v, it was VP VSO, it was VP South yeah, yeah. yeah. With some other venues and like I remember I did Shy Lou there and stuff like back in 2000 and you know and then there was this place called Someplace Else that was in and um in Massapequa there was all these like little spots and that's when that transition started and you now had these like bands that you know you know like for example when Ground Zero was open the Ground Zero was a cool spot that was in Belmore there was bands like the Rookie Lot and all this shit that would play there and then eventually Rookie Lot becomes brand new and you know Movie Life and whatever else, whatever bands Ed was in become Take It Back Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, and then Glassjaw gets signed by Roadrunner, you know, mm-hmm. in 2000. They become this massive band. So you're, like, just getting, like, you're, you're now, like, cut, you, you've cut your, your teeth, so like, you know, working out all the kinks as far as booking goes. Yeah. And, like, right, as like, 
you're hitting your stride, these bands start breaking. These bands start blowing up. You know, yeah, the, long, the Long Island, kind of like post-Long Island hardcore scene with these bands up. that you're talking about. Blows that, like up in the, a major uh, way. Yeah, uh, Bayside was from Long Island, right? Yeah, brand, a little bit later, new, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it was uh, like... Brand new, like you said, um, Taking Back Sunday, uh, Glassjaw. Yeah, but it's the, fir- the first one was VOD, definitely. They get signed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They send them over, they become this massive band. They have a song with Fel Ensemble. They became this big thing. And in 2000, um, actually in 99, when they get signed, but in 2000, Glassjaw's record on Roadrunner came out. You know, I put out the first Glassjaw record by myself as a kid. You know, they were just my best friends and still are, so mm-hmm. I put out that EP and then they all of a sudden become like this band that was doing two or three hundred people to a band that was drawing a thousand people yeah. yeah and you know so what's happening which is an interesting thing where people would form bands because they were musicians but now you have VOD who's a big band Glassjaw who's a big band Salt Majority before they break up is drawing five six hundred kids a show Edna's Goldfish ska band but still part of our scene so now you have these bands that are big so kids that are younger going to shows are looking at these bands mm-hmm. and they're not thinking I want to be in a band because I want to be in the scene they're thinking like I want to be in a band because I want to be big mm-hmm. and no one ever anticipated that. That was like something, you know. It's kind of like a weird byproduct of having so much success it's so in one weird. area yeah. that it gets in people's heads. And I think, I think honestly, that killed that form of the scene, like that that emo was seen. Mm-hmm. And if it and it wasn't until like eventually the scene kind of reinvented himself, where like you know the subdiffuses and the this is hells and like all that shit came out. Like like those bands had their own team, but like I think that the fact that Long Island like that version of it became so big, it eventually killed itself. You know, and then and mm-hmm. then when the the more hardcore bands, like I said. Subdiffuse, this is hell. Soldiers, yeah. strong point, fucking uh, all those bands. Like when those bands, you know, Gabriel, like all those bands came out. Like they kind of like were the answer to that. Like after these bands became too big and kind of mm-hmm. like this in like early mid two thousands, early two thousands. Yeah, kind of yeah. Because like, yeah. it got it was crazy, man. Yeah, like, that was a whole different movement in the early two thousands. You mentioned strong point, which actually Tom Andrew was. Yeah, in. yeah. Tell yes, I said um, that. Uh, and by the way, before, I was trying to think of Divided by Hate from Connecticut. I don't know if you remember them. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they used to play a lot with Internal Bleeding. They did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, regardless, uh, that was just bothering me. I remember me. that band, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was just one of those things that w- would have kept me up tonight. Um, so when do you really make the transition from booking these un- kind of underground hardcore shows on Long Island to booking more professional, bigger concerts at, at professional venues. So because of that transition, like I was saying, when those like those, you know, the, the Take Back Sundays, the brand news, the movie lights, the glass shows, when they started getting big, it puts this huge attention on Long Island. And what's now starting to happen is I'm starting to get A and R guys hitting me up, asking me who the next big band is. Oh. You know what's happening. Um, the other thing that happened to me, which was interesting, that you know now like the bigger venues on Long Island, like the Vanderbilt that was big at the time, have now tapped me to book those rooms. And it was like the places that I would I would go, but would, I would never fuck around with. Now want me to book shows there because mm-hmm. I'm booking bigger shows, mm-hmm. and I'm booking bigger shows at places that had no business of having big shows. You because know, was, you're coming up with those. With those bands, yeah, yeah. I'm coming up with those bands, and I'm booking, and I, and again, still figuring out what I'm doing. You know, being in a weird position. So first, one thing happens is I get tapped by WLAR to do their local show, and I do a show on WLAR, and then, um, you know, and then eventually That's terrestrial radio, terrestrial radio, yeah. it doesn't exist That's anymore. And then FM, and then in 2000 and 2001, a dude by the name of John D from New Jersey hits me up and he's like, hey, I'm going to start this new festival called Skate and Surf. I hear about the cool things that you're doing on Long Island. I want you to do it with me in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Yeah. So I do. And I'm involved in Skate and Surf every year. Skate and Surf what, eventually. What year did that start at? That was 2001. Yeah. Skate and still surf, going now? 
No, no, no. Skate and Surf has been done for oh, a bunch okay, of years. Okay, but sorry. what happens is Skate and Surf eventually becomes Bamboozle. At, while while that happens, I go from LAR to eventually doing my show on K-Rock. So I have a show on K-Rock, you know, a local show on K-Rock with my buddy Mike Dubin. And then as that's happening, I'm also tapped to, op- to, to book shows at the downtown, which is the biggest club on Long Island. Yeah. So yeah, kind of... A- and I'm, I'm sorry, just, yeah, just, please. just quickly for the listeners, K-Rock was probably the biggest FM radio station in the Long Island, New York City area for like your more commercially acceptable modern yeah. rock and and hard rock and things of that nature. 92.3. Um, yeah, yep. and, and uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you, you, you remember, 92.3. <laughs> and um, uh, what was the other thing you brought up? Oh, and then, and then so that... Oh, and the ben downtown, Luzon. the downtown. And the downtown, yeah. Comparable maybe to um, Revolution uh, yeah. nowadays. Very, well, very Revolution ripped now. off the downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, just, I'm, t- I'm just trying to think of what is around now. Yeah, or maybe yeah, even totally. the Paramount. Yeah. Uh, just like your venue where a touring act that you might normally have to go to New York City for would come to Long Island to perform. And what was it? Uh, what's the capacity at, or what what was the capacity at downtown? 500. And what was interesting, yeah, it was only 500, wasn't oh, that really? big? Yeah. But, it but, seems so much bigger. It seems so much bigger. They brought big acts. So you got like, yeah. slingshot. Into into some real shit, yeah, like, kind of, and then short and what was what was crazy about that shit was that like we never had like a real venue, you know, yeah. like being an independent promoter, you're booking VFW halls for six months, you book a Hatebreed show, they shut the VFW hall down, and then it you're the on to the next place. Mm-hmm. So when the down and also when the downtown first opened, I fucking hated the downtown, <laughs> and then eventually because of how big they were and because of how big I was, it just was a natural marriage that had to happen. Yeah. So was, was it common for a show promoter to float to all these different venues back no. then? Or were you kind of like a, a rogue? I was, uh, you know. I was, a, I was, I, I kind of did my own thing. I mean, okay. obviously, there's fucking people that hate me because I was a little cutthroat when I did it. You know, like, you know, I, I, recently some kids were talking shit to me on the internet, being like, <laughs> "Yo, back in the day, you used to cut down, used to call venues and tell them not to use other promoters," and I fucking totally did because, <laughs> you know, and no, and I'll be honest, why? Because, yeah. because. So many venues were getting shut down because of the shows that were being booked. Yeah. Fuck damn straight I did. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like I knew that the only way that like venues would operate is if you didn't book certain bands. And I hate to fucking say it, but that's a God's honest truth. So you would warn about mm-hmm. maybe some of these instances we talked about before where certain crews and factions would bring violence, sure. yeah. uh, vandalism, yeah. things like that. And okay. I always I always tried to be cool with everybody. Yeah. Like I always tried to like be friends. Because again, like I said before, like I knew that crews are such a part of the scene and important to the scene. I mean, like, mm-hmm. again, I think crews run the scene. Like, I think it's important that we have it. But there's other selfish fucking people yeah. that have nothing to do with that outside of that. The, like, lone wolves that would just fucking punch a kid in the face or break something or whatever. And that was, like, that was such mm-hmm. a part of it. I can't tell you how yeah, many well, It was very prevalent, out. like we said, back in the days, especially before there was more security measures and things like that. Cameras and smart yeah, phones and I still, And every once in a while, yeah. I'll still get some kids talking shit to me. And I'm yeah. just like, dude, I, I felt, you know, not that I want to hate me, but, like, you know, I was trying to not only do the shift myself, but like, you know, I was trying to make this shit survive. It's long term booking. Yeah. This is long term booking. But you can't, you can't make, yeah. you can't make a scene survive. You know, if you book, if there's, you know, I mean, man, that was crazy shit. Bands getting jumped on stage, fucking, yeah. you know, twenty on twenty fights, people getting jumped, people going through walls. It's like 
It's just not the other day. It's not worth it. So yeah, so we're at the downtown right now, and the downtown is just like killing on all cylinders. You know, there's there, every type of band is playing the downtown, mm-hmm. from death metal bands to we do a Salt Majority reunion, we do an Eclect reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, like fucking, you know, like Brand New plays there. They're the biggest band in the world. Take It Back Sunday plays there. The biggest band in the world. Cannibal Corpse plays there. Mm-hmm. You know, like all these. So nasty, on the up and up on Earth. Eat it, you know, uh, Eighteen shit. Visions, Lamb of God, you yeah. know, Unit Kill Switch. All these massive bands. Play this venue. Dying Fetus came through there a few oh, times. Yeah. That, was, and that was the spot for bigger shows. It was a yeah. spot because I and saw like Tom, I said, Tom did an open mic there. It was pretty sick. Yeah, we needed we needed we needed that permanent venue. That permanent venue didn't yeah. exist, you know. Yeah. So yeah. that so anyway, that's happening. And then I'm on I'm on K Rock, and also we're doing the Bamboozle Festival. And then in Roughly, roughly September of 2005, the downtown unexpectedly closes, and now we have to find a place to do all of our shows at. And luckily, I had a relationship with the Crazy Donkey on 110, so I transfer my shows there. You know, I'm still doing my K Rock show, and I'm still involved with the Bamboozle Festival. 2006, the Bamboozle Festival moves from from. Um, Asbury Park to Giant Stadium and we went from doing 7,000 people to now doing 25 to 30,000 people a day and also because of that scene the Take It Back Sunday now it's a little bit of a jump it was a huge jump but those bands were so big that it made sense so eventually what happens and I'll get there is that the company that I now work for buys the Bamboozle Festival. I'm part of the Bamboozle Festival. They acquire me in the deal, and I went from being, you know, like kind of Long Island promoter to now somebody who books Irving Plaza and Gramercy Theater and the Warsaw and the Stone Pony and the Walmart Theater. And occasionally I've done shows at Radio City and I've done shows at, um, you know, like at Jones Beach and that stuff. So yeah, right. that's a lot. And yeah. and I mean, I just, it would. I'm just applauding. It, it like would. That. It would, um, I mean, it would go with the territory then that you're not just booking hardcore and punk and metal anymore. I'm everything. You're taking on your commercial aspects. Like, take, take <clears> us through. <throat> when was the first time you had to book like an event that you really had no uh, entertainment interest in personally? You yeah. know, that you really had Whoa. to just kind of. <laughs> that's a great question. That's well, a job. Yeah. No, that's a great yeah. question. Yeah, that's a great that's question. Great. Um, I'm trying to think of actually if I can name it, but like, you know, I mean. As it doesn't a, mean it was a bad artist. It just means it's not something you would play in your down in your yeah free yeah time, totally. You know? I yeah. mean, the first one when I started doing country, that was really colored by numbers because I don't really understand country, and everything I had booked up until that point was something I com- somewhat understood, mm-hmm. you know. And then also too, like when Bamboozle was like really big, there was a lot of stuff that I just didn't get, like the Broken Sides and the Millionaires and and the Blood broken on the Dance Side. Floor. This guy said Broken Side. Yeah, well that's no, what we were doing. We were putting on a festival. One, yeah. Don't uh, Google that. Yeah. Do not YouTube. Yeah, or Look it up. Don't side. give him the algorithm. algorithm don't do it. Look yeah. up broken side. Don't yeah. do Look it. it. No, don't don't do it, Justin. <laughs> don't do it to the kids. So no, yes, right. you I'm don't. sorry. I'm sorry. No, when okay. you, oh God. We oh. You need to know. I need another beer now that you brought that up. Go. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> no. That was a look at the dirty parts time. of humanity. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Find the broken side. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> so yeah. So you got this festival where there's 25 to 30 thousand people a day, and there's all these different facets of quote unquote emo. You know, like you have your heavier emo bands, but you also have your hip hopish, dancey emo bands, mm. and that's where like the broken sides and stuff fell in. So um, while you know we were doing that festival, and John, who <laughs> was the genius that created Bamboozle, and then I just kind of like followed his lead. Like we were doing all these like weird bands, and and if it wasn't for 
bamboozled, I probably wouldn't have the relationship with Justin, you know, who's sitting next to me because was when that I, that was it? Well, that we, was the one. Well, when we when I when I decided to manage <laughs> Justin's band, like the first thing we did was put you guys on bamboozled. That was fun. Yeah, that yeah, was really that was fun. Like the first, and I had that I had that festival at my. I access sold tickets for you at for Gramercy before that. You did. Yeah, so it was great. Say, oh my god. Terrible. So so again, selling tickets. So when when, <laughs> when you, I saw you and I just I saw you, I looked in your eyes and I just knew I was like this is worth it. This is gonna be worth it. So it was worth it. So when you um, started, when you had to book like a country music show, did you do like research or yeah. did you like what? Like, how did well, when you go? work for when you work for a big company, we have an, we have a pretty intense database of every piece of data that you want concerning a band and all that stuff. So like, this shit's out there. So there was it was easy for us to, you know, for me to do the research. But you know, but also too, like I think. I don't know how to describe this, but I think you guys probably get this. I think when you work in music, you just kind of have a knack for knowing what's good and what's not good. And I tell I tell my interns and assistants all the time, the key to working in music is to figure out what's going to be big, even though you don't <clears throat> like it. All right. You know, like all if right. you can identify like, yo, someone's going to like this. It ain't me. Mm-hmm. Someone's right. going to like this. The kids are going to go nuts about it. Kids are going to yeah. go nuts. Yeah. This isn't made for me. Like yeah. I'm a 44 year old dude that like that, you know, doesn't like the Beatles. And I think fucking, <laughs> you know, like, like Red Hot Chili Peppers is the worst band in the world. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. there's, <laughs> you know, like I'm a. Sp- what you mean? So what do you mean now? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm a specific guy, but I can tell. I know why somebody likes the Beatles and I would never knock somebody. Well, like well, yeah. I feel like part of what makes you good at what you do is that you remove like you use the knowledge that you have about the music but you remove your personal connection to music away and you from have that. to do that yeah. so you're yeah. using that knowledge yeah and then and using your gut but removing all the mm-hmm. all those gut the you might get those bad movements right where it's bad. like i have a lot of bad movements i've got to but also yeah. this this is gonna do something yeah mm-hmm. and, and but it's also having passion that I still have and that we all talked about before it's just why I care about doing bands I don't care about but I want to give those kids a place to watch those okay. bands that I don't give a shit mm-hmm. about right. if that makes any sense like yeah, cause I, sure. I can watch a band that I don't like but I still feel like you know there's there's this um this Sanskrit saying called Kamamuda and it's a feeling it's an emotion that you really can't put into words it's just like a feeling of elation that comes over you mm. and I think every music fan knows that feeling mm. like when the band that you give a shit first goes on whether it's the drum beat or the intro music you feel that feeling it's electric mm-hmm. and even though I don't care a lot of times about that specific music I'm engaged with every kid watching because that's a moment that's yeah, a magic but... moment not to be corny as fuck but I'm, I'm corny as fuck that's cool to be a part of that you yeah. know like yeah, no, and, and I feed off of that I think everybody does you know? That's the whole reason we're here, man. Um, and pl- performing live is my favorite part of being in a band. As much as I love writing and recording and you know everything else, I, you know the the show is that's why we're doing it. You know, um, let me ask you this though: talking about shows, you being a promoter, uh, Christian, I like you, man, but I gotta go here. Uh, have you ever um, promoted a show in which you had the local opening bands sell tickets to be on that show? Oh yeah, fuck yeah, I have. I mean, listen. Okay. It's not a practice that I'm a fan of. I don't do it now, and I haven't done it in years. Um, man, now people are gonna send me fucking hate mail. Um, I, I gotta go there. But, yeah, we um, can talk about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 talk I have about no shame. it. Though. I don't give a let's shit. Let's talk about um, when, when you were doing it. What was your mindset behind that business model? <clears throat> and and um, uh, do you do you do you not do it anymore because you don't uh, you don't consider it practical or what's yeah, the reason you don't whack. do it anymore? I mean, listen, I don't I don't you know like I don't. I don't need to do it now because I work. Mm-hmm. For, I, I 
I'm not yeah. booking local shows. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Like, I don't need to do it. I don't like if I put a if I have the opportunity to put a local band on a show, which I usually don't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to sell the tickets. But mm-hmm. even if it did, that's not like the local band doesn't need to sell the tickets. You know, I, I'll say this. Being a local promoter is tough. While I certainly subscribe most to the hardcore ethics that I started off with, you know, once I was doing bigger shows and I was literally thousands of dollars in debt for how much money those shows cost me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was easier for me to justify having bands sell tickets because when you're an independent promoter, that is not an easy proposition. Mm -hmm. You know, it is very hard to pay the bills. You know, um... I mean, twofold. That's also why I hated the fact that kids would dance like dicks and get shows shut down. Because at the end yeah. of the day, that was my money. Yeah, because you're you know, building like, this thing. And yeah. it's like, hey, I'm setting this show True. up. People are going to have fun. But then you have a couple fucking scoundrels. Come in so, and fuck up your, fuck now, up your money. The, the, the example of this that's always brought up is you have, like, say, a tour package of three touring bands... Not you personally, but uh, the the um, yeah. the promoter in question who maybe uh, uh, I'm bringing up right now, um, who does this practice. You have a tour package of three touring bands coming through, so they book an exorbitant amount, maybe four or five local bands from yeah. the same like local county, and expect them all to sell like 20 tickets each. Yeah, that's whack. That that's I mean, I'm and that's honestly that. from what I've found and what I've found networking and talking with other bands, that's typical of that business model. Kind and of. What a lot, and maybe that's also representative of how a lot of smaller local promoters just don't get it. Um, but it seems predatory to me. Yeah, listen, I can I can justify this in a couple of different ways. Like you know, when I was doing ska shows at Backstreet Blues, there's an awesome ska band from Long Island called uh, the High School Football Heroes. Great guys, and they advocated for selling their own tickets because it was easier for them to get people to come to their shows when they would sell tickets. And I would that was like one of the first times they ever had bands sell tickets. I remember like talking to them about it, and it's almost like a like with certain bands, it's almost like a battle of the bands because like once you're selling tickets, that's like a commitment. And I never said to the High School Football Heroes, you have to do this. But I remember talking to those, and those are great dudes, talking to them, and they're just like, yeah, but, you know, in our world, there weren't, like, they're a Scott band, so there weren't, like, a hardcore metal band. Like, they, like, it worked for them, because once somebody bought the ticket, that was a commitment that they were going to show up to the show. Right. So... I certainly know bands that have done it that way. Now, when I say I have had bands sell tickets, I've had a band or two bands sell tickets for a show. You know, as a promoter, when I look at a show and I see there's 11 bands on a show and I know half of them are selling tickets, that shit's whack. I don't agree with that. I've never agreed with that. But if there's a situation where, you know, back then, you know, when I was booking shows, the the only venues I can really think that I've ever done it at, maybe we did it a couple of Gramercy. Like, I don't... I'm I'm going to take back. I don't think I ever sold tickets for you. Passed out flyers. Okay, on you like definitely a, on like a yeah. weird back end time. I, yeah. know, I know I've sold tickets to play, but not when not my shows. Yeah, It was more also, like a, like like fair, like show up and like get get a bunch of flyers, stand outside, pass flyers out like at the end of a show to promote a show. Or that like that like should be the norm if you're That's, an underground band in a local scene. Yeah, you should want to do that. But you also, know? I like I I feel like I had a weird perspective of it at the time, and it, I don't think it sh- has shifted all that much because mm. like I remember playing shows and having to sell tickets, whatever it was, twenty tickets. And I didn't feel like I uh, was doing someone's dirty work. 
No way. I was just like, yeah, I wanted people to come to my show. I guess I, I, I well, guess I knew enough people. Well, there's, there, but I, I know. There's a, yeah, it's good. Sorry. Well, I guess like um, if you're in a situation where you know enough people who are down to come to the show already, it's like mm-hmm. not really a huge deal. Where it's just like, hey, we got to bring this many people, and they're gonna there, come. There's but a, I know that's not er, not everyone experiences that. Yeah. There's a nuanced difference between a predatory fucking promoter who is having 11 bands, each band selling 20 tickets. Well, that's the difference. Yeah. Or okay. having a couple of yeah, bands sell tickets to a higher profile I'll, I'll show. hear your perspective on this, because I, I would love to hear like the metal bands guys in, take in, on this. In, in some respects, like say say you're selling tickets to play on a Cannibal Corp show, there's two openers, the two openers are selling tickets. Like, But like, it would never be two openers. It would be six openers yeah. that all come from the same county, and they're right, competing right. in the local scene yeah. to sell... Get the same uh, people. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's what I think that's yeah, true. Yeah. But there are, there, if, if there's a time, which I'm sure that there has been, if it's a couple of openers selling your tickets, like that's your DIY work. That's your networking that a lot of people won't do for a lot of their bands. They'll okay. just post shit online oh, and right. hope, hopefully people show up. You know also, I mean? wait, just, it could go both ways. Just to clarify about what I was just saying, really quick, is that in, in retrospect, I don't think it's a good practice at all. Hate but in By the, the way, moment, I, I like Ray. Hold on, I love the fact that the promoters sitting back here and the three guys and bands are all <laughs> arguing with each other about it. I'm just I, like, I'm, I haven't been able to get my point. Oh, in. Sorry, I, yeah, I want you to hear you guys. All, all I'm trying to say is I've dealt with this a lot, and it's never two local bands. It's mm. never that. No, it's, no, it's never that. Yeah. What it is every single time that I've ever had it, conf- I've been confronted with it, or I've seen it, or I've heard stories of it. It's a small local scene like you have in Suffolk County on Long Island here. Yeah where, say, it's the death metal scene, so you're not even talking the hardcore, the punk scene, where there's yeah. a bigger market. You're talking the underground grindcore death metal and black metal community sure. on Long Island, which is bigger now because of the younger people, but still very isolated yeah, yeah. and a niche market. Uh, and you get... Um, uh, it's never two bands. It's always some tour package that already has like three or four bands yeah. on it, and they they throw like four bands on it, <clears throat> and they, and it's never like you got to sell ten tickets or something reasonable. It's always like twenty to forty tickets, and what happens is the promoter already knows that you're not going to sell twenty to forty tickets, and not every band is going to sell that because there's not that many metalheads in the scene attending that show. Right. Yeah. So what happens I is for that dirty. band for that band to arrive that what I think it's dirty. So for, for, for bands that arrive that day and they've sold maybe five or six tickets, max ten or a dozen tickets to their friends, their mom, their dad, whoever, their aunt, their cousin, uh, they now have to make up the, the, the cash value of the tickets they didn't sell yeah. and fucked up. Yeah. pay to play. A lot of people, oh, that's not pay to play. You just didn't sell it. You're, no, no, no. you're a bad, bad, like I see this on the internet all the time, Facebook teenagers who don't know anything about how the, the underground scene works. Well, you're probably a bad band if you can't even draw 20 people to sell tickets to. Yeah. You're talking about underground bands that are trying to get their name out who don't even have a demo yet and some promoter takes advantage of them like I that, agree. man. Oh, yeah, man. It, you're absolutely right, man. You know, yeah. I've been in that situation yeah. and it's bullshit. Yeah. I also, let me say this real quick. I can say that, like, when I actually, the times that I did have bands sell tickets, there was never a minimum. It was more like, hey, I'm going to give you these tickets and kind of see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Because at a point in time, when you're booking shows and there's a million fucking local bands, how could you really tell who's worth what? You know, so a lot of times we would do that. Now, that's a flawed practice because obviously kids could fucking, you know, sell, buy their own tickets or do some bullshit. But, yep. you know, but I mean, there's there's bands. Envy on the Coast is a great example of, of a band that like was a bigger band that became a bigger band that like that sold tickets as tall as Lions. You know, yeah, like there's bands yeah. that I can... That as I can tall as Lions. <laughs> yeah, shout, shout to them, man. Yeah, there's um, bands that did it. But but point being is that I, I totally hear what you're saying. I never yeah. thought of myself as that kind of promoter because I was a hard 
Mark. No. And I didn't but, want to imply that you were. No, I don't care. And I'm yeah. glad that we had this conversation to see your side of it. Because here's the thing. I agree. In theory, that could be a business practice in if theory. applied within reason, mm-hmm. fairly. It could encourage the bands to get out and do some work for themselves. Yes. As long as you're, you don't, you're not applying um, a crazy minimum amount of tickets where they have to make it up and cash yeah. out of their pockets. And here's the other thing where it hurts shows that maybe people don't realize, which I've seen and experienced, is all right, say these bands are only have to sell 10 or a dozen tickets each and they, they all sell them to people or whatever, but now you have a, a small local metal or hardcore show, whatever the case is, where there's a drop-off between every band because every band... It's just, just came to see our band. It's their girlfriends, yeah. their family yeah. members, people from their local college or high school. Sure. Yeah. They're not sticking around for the whole show. You have a show made up of people that are just there to support it's a hodgepodge, their, yeah. Their, yeah. their metal or their hardcore friend, but I don't really listen to the music. You know what I mean? So I think that's also where that could be dangerous. But like you said, you only did it with a few bands. Like when you when you rely on four or five openers doing that every show you book, that's where it becomes an issue. I think the other problem the other Sorry. the other problem too <laughs> is that um, I also think it comes from the tours itself. Because I think that you got to understand something. A lot of these shows aren't booked by clubs directly. They're booked by promoters. So the the promoters don't have the insides the club mm-hmm. have. They're not getting the bar and they're not getting the ancillary income. Mm-hmm. So if I'm 20 years old, 20 year old Christian McKnight, a 20 year old Charlie Road, a 20 year old whoever the fuck booking a show, I'm paying for the package. I'm paying to promote the show. I'm paying for catering and I'm paying for the venue. And that's costly. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, no. which is why promoters have to be so defensive and they have to protect their interests. Because, I mean, when I tell you that like <clears throat> there was times in my life in my late 20s that I was thousands of dollars in debt, that's an under statement and Charlie huh. was probably thousands of dollars in debt and yeah. all these guys yeah, were, are, sure, are in sure. debt because you know because the problem is you got a package that goes on tour with five bands three of them no one even fucking knows <laughs> the two how not that people you're care right. you're right and now you have this massively long show that you're paying a dick load of money for yeah, but that, it's long because of the six openers that you're putting on starting at a four in the, in the but, afternoon but sometimes on a, on a but Tuesday. sometimes you'll, but, but devil's advocate is that like the reason why you're putting those bands on is because you have three bands that nobody gives a shit about that's on the package because mm. they bought onto the package for whatever reason. You got to make up for it. So, so is there a is there a, a like a, a place where it kind of like the the the, the means don't justify the ends in, in a certain sense? Like by adding so much extra, so much local, for, like to 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 bring in like a local crowd, have them selling tickets to to offset that cost. To where that doesn't work, to like that works to the detriment of the entire Yeah, it, you know? it, I mean, sometimes if the show is too long, you know, I mean, obviously yeah. the, the, the idea always is the longer people in your club, the more they're going to drink. But when you're talking about younger shows and people aren't drinking, it doesn't make a difference. You yeah. know, like, you, you know, listen, I don't, I, again, because I'm at the stage of my career where I don't really deal with that. Um, you know, I don't know what happens now. I'll be honest. I do sometimes see locals, like see local shows, not booked by hardcore kids, but looked by, booked by booking companies and there is six seven locals on it, i don't get it you know and and the thing is you know it would make more sense if people that actually own the venues book the shows because they're not renting them out you know mm-hmm. they get the ancillary like income from the bar you know that's why like you don't see that shit at fucking at amh because you know it's like because hardcore kids own that fucking bar yeah you know like yeah. it's better now yeah it's yeah, be- yeah it's, and, it's uh, true and yeah. listeners can go back and listen to our episode where we interviewed dan valentino if they want to know more about uh amityville musical amh cool. as that's you right. just mentioned we talk a lot about that and how it's kind of from within the local hardcore scene 
All right, so uh, Christian, man, it's like I said, I feel like we could talk all night about old school hardcore shows and booking shows and all the inner workings of the business. We really want to get you back here for part two. Yeah. Part three, four, five, six, whatever we're going to do, <laughs> however long we're on this earth for. Um, but right now, we got to respect our format and more cool. importantly, be respectful of your time, as we say. Um, so maybe right now we could transition into recommending some music for the listeners quickly uh, and then just get out with a, a final plug and, uh, you know, that, that contact information and all that. Sick. All right, Christian, what do you got for something new for us? Newer? I mean, I don't know what you guys have talked about or covered on this show, but as far as, like, stuff that I dig in the past couple of years, like, me and... We were having this good conversation before about hardcore bands that really fuck with metal, so there's a lot of that that I dig right now. Like, I think that band Gulch, have you guys talked about them? I fucking love Gulch. Yeah, Yeah, Gulch is a fucking... I fuck heavy with that. I saw them in California a couple of months ago, Mm. and I thought they were amazing. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about Candy. Have not talked about Candy yet. Wow. Let's talk about Candy for a Mm -hmm. bit. Something about Candy reminds me of why I like heavy music because yeah, it's brutal, but it's still creative. Was the, the new ones like good to feel? Yeah, good the to feel. Yeah. It's something that, like like you know when I put that on, it's like the same way that I felt like the first time when I was thirteen and that kid Paul played me X Hoarder. You know, like it's just like X Hoarder. Yeah, yes. something like that. You know, like I, dude, no X Hoarder, no Pantera. Mm-hmm. True story. I agree wholeheartedly. We could have that conversation. That's a conversation for another time. But I firmly believe that, though. Yeah, yeah, man. There's a there, and it's it's great to see X. I believe they're still back playing shows, man. They've been back for several years yeah, now, yeah, reformed, man. Yeah, I, I I agree. Slaughter in the Vatican. Oof. Yeah, yeah. I bought that cassette tape at uh, I think it was Generation Records many many years ago, man. Yeah, I'm like used, man. Yeah, yeah. X-Hoarder, well, that's my recommendation. Band. I'm sure everybody here that listens to the show fucks yeah. with X Hoarder, but if you don't fuck with X Hoarder, holy shit, that's the classic. Get on there X- you go. Put that that is like you need that X Hoarder. That needs to be part of everyone's collection. No more the real thing. Jesus. So Justin, I heard you have faith. No more is the real thing. Yeah. Let me what go you want to my, talk about? Let me go to my notes. I like it. <laughs> it's a great album, man. Such a such a beautiful album. Wait, can I ask you guys a, a question real quick? Do you? Yeah, that's like one of those records. Like, do you remember the first place you were the first time you heard that? Any of that? Uh, the real thing. Yeah, or, or epic or any of those things. I, the first, yeah, when I heard epic. Um, I was sitting on my couch. I was watching TV. I was in my bedroom as a, yeah. as a teenager, and I listened to like the whole album for like a whole weekend. Yeah, so the yeah. first time I heard the entire record, I was 
I was driving to Montauk, actually. I was 13 the first time I saw the video for Epic, and because he had his head shaved, like, underneath, like, when no one did that back then, had their head shaved underneath <clears> the hair, <throat> I was so confused on the style of music it was, because I knew that it was heavy, but it wasn't what I thought was heavy yeah, music. Yeah. Like, right. they're, the, they're like a genre-bending band when yes. you're a kid, because they don't subscribe to any of the norms that you think about heavy music. A hundred percent, man. I mean, this band had it all. They were, they're, I'm not going to say the only band. Um, Living Color was cool, but there was a lot. How can you blend funk yes. and metal yep. and and pass it off? I, I, this yeah. is, I mean, Faith No More, just a truly brilliant band. Uh, after this album, I didn't get into their work as much, um, oh, yeah. but but Injured this album in particular, yeah, sure. this is one of like the hallmark, legendary, classic albums of my youth, this man. I, I I wasn't ready for you to clap me over the head with this, man. Every song on this album has like meaning to me, just because yeah. mm-hmm. I listen to this over and over and over and over again. Man. Yes, sir, and, and it's tr- it's truly like something for everybody. Like it, it blends that uh, that hard rock and thrash with that like funk taste of hip hop. Like prog rock, yeah. you know, in, a, um, in such a virtuoso way too, man. Yep. Not not in a ham fisted kind of, <laughs> you know. It's it, yeah, man. These guys, and I always remember not to trivialize the conversation now about how great these guys were. Uh, you remember? Was it which? It was one of the Bill and Ted movies. The guitarist was brought. Yeah, in. Jim Martin. Yeah, he played the, yeah. the. He was in the Hell Band, whatever. Like. Yeah, he was in that movie. I think he just came in and he was brought. Oh, it was in the second one. It was Bogus Adventure because the yeah. first one came out like before. He was he was brought in as some sort of like a lead guitarist. Yeah, Jim Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, man, which he absolutely was. Man, I just remember that that I, he was always like too because you know in the '90s it was all about imagery, man. Because we you know we weren't online reading about everyone's personal life. Yeah, you just read true. about this guy. You said it was Jim Martin. Yeah, Jim Martin. Yeah. Yeah, he was like he had this iconic metal look with the long the hair. hair, the leather jacket. And he had jacket, that weird part in the hair. But he had the nerdy kind of bright plastic glasses, and I always yeah. thought that he like he had such a kind of like cool image, man. He was like you know, and he was in Faith No More, obviously a shredder and an accomplished guitarist. Yeah. But he was in Faith No More. He yeah. wasn't in Slayer or what? You know what I mean? Or Cannibal? Yeah. Corpse. Two wait. Two things you I know? want to say about Faith No More. Yeah. Number one, Gateway Drug. Totally. Before we said Gateway Drug, that's a Gateway Drug. Yes. Because that's a band that I really think that if you like specific heavy music, that you would be more open to listen to hip hop and other stuff. Another thing I saw that's really controversial. I'll say it. No faith or more, no corn. I mm. think that, like, mm. because of the elements that they included, I really believe that a band like what you're looking at your notes. Did you? you I am. Yeah. Well, drummer Mike Borden uh, filled in for Corn in 2000. Uh, there you go. Months. I forgot so about that. Also there. filled in. That's also top for Black corn. Sabbath. He filled in for Black Sabbath. Yeah. He was like Ozzy's tour drummer. Yeah, he was Ozzy's drummer for a while. I mean, I'll say something even more controversial, maybe to you, man, because it's something you already said. No, uh, no Chili Peppers, no Faith, no more. Well, here's. Well, it's really funny. Yeah, I back that because they because yeah. Chili Peppers got big doing the fun. And honestly, man, I dig old Chili Peppers. Yeah. All right. I, I'll come out and say it. There's two bands where I abhor. Probably everything they've done from a certain point in the '90s, mm-hmm. but love everything they did before that, and that's the Chili Peppers and U2. I'll come that's out and fair. say. So, so here's something. So this is the first Faith No More record with uh, Mike Patton. Yeah. Right. Um, Chuck Chuck what's his nuts unfortunately passed away. Yeah. Rest, rest his nuts. I, I guess, can't yeah. remember what's his name. Chuck. Uh, I I don't know. That's off terrible. The top I just of my said head. Chuck, but he passed away unfortunately. And he was, yeah, he's gone. He's an amazing singer. Um, Anthony Kiedis fucking hates this. So he saw the video for Epic and was just like, "What? Like, what is? What are these? Uh, were you wearing shorts? You got no shirt? You're from really? kind of rapping a little bit." I, I didn't and realize he, this when I said Anthony that. Anthony Kiedis talked a lot of shit about Faith No More okay. when, when this record came out because I guess Chili Peppers kind of started, you know, 
uh, late 80s. You know, this came out in, yeah. in, in 89, right? Wait, real quick also, too, Long Island. I'll get this back to Long Island. Yeah. Thank the you. first time Long Island actually saw Faith No More was in... I believe 89 or 90 I was too young but Voivod headlined at Sundance and the opening bands were Soundgarden and Faith No More that's unbelievable Sound, under, and, and Soundgarden oh. another band yeah. that maybe listeners of extreme metal and of the show who, who have a little bit of open mind go back to Soundgarden before they popped as a big commercial grunge alternative rock band a lot of them love it's heavy yeah. as fuck yeah there's something there man it was and interesting I, too it was yeah. different nothing sounded like that we still oh, haven't no, done our grunge episode again. we were we still haven't done our grunge episode we were planning yeah. on doing a grunge episode at some point oh, I think oh we, we got time to, yeah. yeah so I'm gonna put up uh, I just requested this one track from this record that uh, is is besides like uh, falling to pieces and and epic, like this is like one of the shining lights of this fucking record. The song "Surprise You're Dead" is just yeah. fucking thrash, <laughs> yeah. like smart fucking transitions between these like riffs. Like this is what I'm saying about Jim Martin is that you could tell he's a metal virtuoso. He's a yeah. metal guy, yeah, but he's in Faith No More, and it works. It works. Yeah. So you really need to get into Angel Dust, like the the record after. Oh, I know Angel Dust. Yeah, I, I just feel when I said after that, I, I wasn't talking about. It was I thought Angel Dust was before the real thing? No, no it was after. after. Angel Dust okay, and King okay. for a Day. Yeah. My say. bad. King for a Day is the one where I still like the songs, but there's if they fall off a bit on King for mm. a Day for me personally. Yeah, and check it out. So, uh, plastic. Justin with Got the that? wow. Now, Justin, this isn't a flex. It's actually camaraderie. I own that album on cassette tape at home myself. Oh, oh you got look at the that. same one. You got that. Uh, yeah, that, I, that you stole that, it. That I know. Press. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's definitely. I don't have like the original. Uh, like Mike Borden didn't oh, dump me that and send it to me in the mail. On I'm Slash not, Records. I'm not flexing. Yeah, I just have not I, that Warner Brothers shit. This is Slash Records. I think I actually got that back in the '90s. If our listeners and you guys remember, there used to be the thing where you could send away. Like ten tapes for eighty eight cents. Columbia House, and Terry Hode, Indiana. Yeah, Columbia House, that's yeah. what it was, or whatever. And and you'd get like a dozen tapes, and you'd never pay for them allegedly. Well, and then you get a bill in the mail for like thirty seven bucks for a door CD. You're like, yeah, oh, but shit. you're thirteen years old, and your mom just says throw it out. Yeah, it's all gravy, man. <laughs> Justin, faith no more. Wow, you uh, you uh, threw wow. me for a loop with that one, man. Um, great conversation to have on the podcast. I'm glad we had it. Didn't see it coming tonight. Yes, sir. But certainly one of my all-time favorite albums. Tom, I don't judge you, <clears throat> but I urge you. I'm happy. I'm excited to give it a you. shot. Yeah, no. I'm, I want to hear your opinion, man. Yeah. I I um, have no pride. I need to I need to show the audience who I am, my shortcomings, and one of them is my lack of information about faith no more. Cheers to you for being truthful. Exciting. And Cheers to Christian McKnight for coming through and showing the audience who he is and being <laughs> truthful tonight. Yes. Thank you for coming down to the Thanks studio, brother. Thanks for having brother. me. This has been a fucking honor and a pleasure. Uh, it's really, you know, I don't know. It's cool that you guys wanted me to come here since you usually have band guys. It's cool to, for me to roll <laughs> in and talk about stuff and just blab on for hours. But 
I, it was Thanks a worthwhile conversation, and I feel like we only um, chipped at the iceberg, man. Yeah, so, yeah. like Scratching. I said, we, we'd like to get you back for uh, you know, back, a, another part, another sequence, man. Yeah. Um, uh, and we'll talk more about your experiences booking shows and, and the music community and all that, man. And maybe get your input on other issues, man, because uh, you got a lot to say, and we like to hear it, man. Cool. Um, so, Christian, uh, is there anything you want to plug, anything you want to say uh, before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, let me see. Uh... Uh, stop using single-use bottles and cans. Uh, vote in the primary. Sorry. Vote in November. What else? Uh, support local music. Support live music. Um, anything else? Um, Justin's going to write something down for me. I think that's it. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. But uh, this has been a great time, and I love talking about music. And... Like we're the Lost Boys, you know. Like I said before, <laughs> man, we are we are youthful. We keep the shit going. And uh, please check out this band that I manage, ultraguys.bandcamp.com. <laughs> check it out. Making moves, as I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're happening. Yeah, yeah allegedly. Like we almost talked to each other. I can't wait to check them out. <laughs> allegedly, I cannot wait. Alle- yeah, allegedly. Thank you. I That's love a really it. cool band name. I can't wait to check them out. All right. Um, I'm very excited to get you back in here for more episodes. We didn't even get into black metal. Uh, yeah, no. we we scratched the surface, uh, Christian man. But we appreciate um, your candor and the conversation. And obviously, we do want to continue it um, in the near future, man. You so, will. I'll be back. Uh, thank you very much, Christian. And um, we look forward to seeing you again, brother. Thanks man. for having so, me. Dude. Yeah. This is a great uh, thing I love you guys you so much. Here. Uh, it was, it's been a pleasure, you know, the friendship. I'm not dying right away. It's, uh, you know, I might I be dying. A lot. And uh, uh, I really am thankful that you came down. Um, if you want, Christian, if you or anybody else listening want to know more about the podcast, uh, check out heavyholepodcast.com. Com, it's com, up now. Yeah, it's the there. website. There we got a go. website. We have stickers. It's simple. It's easy. We have stickers. We got, bag, we got these little bags full of stickers that Justin made. Order them. Send us money on the internet and get stickers. That's what they sound like. Lots of designs. Put it on things. Put it on your uh, non-single-use plastic bottles to make them look cool. Now we're talking. Put them on the back of your car. Put it on your skateboard deck. That's the plug for everything we need. It's all at heavyholepodcast.com. And I know it's been forever of me like reading... The phone number, so nope. and then I just memorized it, and no one wants to hear it. This anymore. is 2020, baby. We're leaving all that behind because you can go to Heavy Hole. What, what is it, Justin? Podcast.com. That's Bing Heavy Hole Podcast.com. I'm so I'm so new to. I know it's a, it's uh that's an Angel Fire website. You can also right? try six three one eight three seven three two seven four at Heavy Hole Podcast.com. <laughs> yeah, we got the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, the phone number to leave the voicemail. You can order the stickers, and uh, coming soon more merch. There's the link to the Patreon if you want the bonus episodes mm. uh, I gotta talk to you guys we gotta schedule that, that new bonus episode for February coming up yeah. um, but that's that's, yeah, there that's you go. it man so Christian McKnight thank you sir thank Chef you for having me podcast.com <laughs> thanks Christian one two, three.